Welcome, everyone, to the second episode of the Bad Music Hurts podcast, a show dedicated to celebrating and discussing our favorite records. Today's record is Lord Huron's sophomore LP and follow-up to 2012's Lonesome Dreams, Strange Trails. I'm Mark Bearclift, and with me today, as always, is world-renowned mischief maker Michael Bearclift. Hey, Mark. Yeah, happy to be here. It's early, but, you know, not too early to discuss music, so... Yeah. <laughs> yep. Got my coffee right here. All mm-hmm. ready to go. Uh, and of course, as always with us today is SAP guru and handshaking specialist, Amy Granaccio. Hi, guys. Hello. <laughs> early, early, early. But I think Michael's little picture of a barment on Skype <laughs> makes my morning just so much more beautiful. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm looking down at Skype and I see a picture of Amy looking nice. And to the right, I see a picture of a marmot holding what looks like a cheeto well not, not only that but a really fat marmot so <laughs> when you say mischief maker you are not mistaken he's oh my he's my gosh. spirit animal <laughs> hey, <that's> <laughs> oh man well i'm super excited to be here i'm excited that you guys invited me back i thought it was it's kind of dicey after the last podcast i wondered if i word vomited too much but I, I'm, I'm really happy that we're all back together to talk about um, Lord Huron again, this time, Strange Trails. And I'm just going to kind of lay out our roadmap today. I really felt that after our conversation with Lonesome Dreams, and I don't know if you guys felt the same, but I went and listened to it again, and I realized that a lot of the things that we talked about, I was finding in the songs things I had, had never never thought about or didn't pick up the first thousand times I listened to the album. So I'm excited for this discussion because I'm anticipating that you guys will, you know, clue me into things that I didn't notice before, same as Lonesome Dreams. So with that, um, I thought we'd first kick off our conversation and talking about, you know, we came off of this this high from Lonesome Dreams and, um, you know, sophomore albums are hard. So I was wondering what your expectations going into Strange Trails were um, and, you know, we'll get into, you know, whether or not it lived up to those expectations later, but let's just start with, you know, leading into the album. What were you thinking? Where were you at? So going into the sophomore LP is always a tricky, delicate business. Um, and actually I find it, uh, very interesting in a sort of grotesque way where it's almost like I'm, I'm curious how it'll fail because most of the time it does in my mind. To describe this, I'm going to have to describe three sort of meta types of sophomore LPs that I happen to find. You can see the sophomore slump, what I like to refer to as sequelitis, and the rare, but it's there, transformative sophomore LP. So the first one, the sophomore slump. For me personally, I find this to be the cardinal sin for a sophomore LP. Like This is the worst case scenario, because I find it actually tarnishes my opinion of the original LP. In a way, it kind of pulls away a veil and allows me to see, like, flaws and issues with the first record that I was blind to otherwise, and it just sort of leaves a bad taste for future re-listens. Some examples of this, at least in my mind, the best one is <laughs> Montford and Sons, Sigh No More, Ooh. going into Babel, their follow-up. This is by far the best example I have of the sophomore slump, where Babel is truly atrocious, and it actually made me go back and realize that Sigh No More was not that good either. So, absolutely cardinal sin um, on the band's part, where it... You're crushing 
college girls' hearts all over the countries. <laughs> Do you think he'll wait? I don't think he'll wait. I don't think he'll wait. <laughs> I will wait for you. <laughs> so this is, in my mind, the worst case scenario. Um, another example I'm sad to say is Florence and the Machine. Between Two Lungs, I absolutely adored. Um, and then Ceremonials came out, where it just sort of was the leftovers, it felt like, from Between Two Lungs. And upon returning back to Between Two Lungs after listening to Ceremonials for a while, it just it didn't have the same impact to me. Because I feel like I'd listen to this stuff again just in a lesser form, on ceremonials. So, just a big slump in a follow-up, detracts from the original, worst-case scenario. Well, let, let me stop you there, Mark, actually. So, wh- why do you think bands fall into that sophomore slump? Is it time constraints in a studio? Is it creativity burnout? Do they, do they try to release it too soon afterwards? Why, why, why do you think Mumford & Sons had such a terrible sophomore album? So it can be any number of things. Um, It can be that they had a lot of material that maybe wasn't ready or extra material um, when they released their initial record and seeing its success go, oh, we have all this stuff in our backlog, our back pockets. We might as well polish that up and release that. Or they might be like, that record we put out, people really like, let's try doing that again and try making a record that sounds like that one again, basically trying to make a sequel. Um, and I'm going to get to that with sequelitis. So sometimes it can somewhat work out doing this approach. I'm not saying it doesn't work. Um, but what I am saying is that it can sometimes go very wrong um, and make a very dull, uninspired follow-up because the the initial drive, the initial heart's not quite there. The, the goals have changed slightly. It's from, we want to make a good record. We want to get out there to we want to do what we did last time. We want to make people happy. The, 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 the framing in which the music is made has changed ever so slightly, but in a very important way. Yeah, I've heard the saying that you, you have your whole life to make your first album, but then every subsequent album after that, you know, obviously you don't have your whole life. You want to do it in a much shorter period of time. So I can see why people maybe make some compromises or decisions that don't quite make sense. Exactly. And actually, in the context of Lord Huron, um, for listeners that may be unaware, uh, he released two EPs sort of refining and experimenting with his sound before Lonesome Dreams itself came out. So, and actually going back to those EPs, it's apparent that, oh, you know, there's some rough around the edges parts. There's some things that aren't quite as good. There's things that aren't as quite um, as developed, but it was definitely the testing ground and you can hear and see Almost in, uh, as you're listening to it, him sort of refining this this aesthetic, this mood that was then ready for Lord Huron's Lonesome Dreams. And then you're right, <laughs> you don't you have your whole life to do that. And then when time for the sophomore LP comes around, uh, you're you're on a time clock more or less. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So that's the sophomore slump. But then we have sequelitis, where sometimes this approach can actually work pretty well, or at least well enough. So an example of this would be Real Estate's uh, Days to mm. Atlas. Yep. Um, literally, Atlas is a sequel to Days. The meta structure of the album's the same. The art kind of looks the same. The presentation looks kind of the same. It sounds exactly the same. I mean, it is a real estate record. Um, <laughs> it, like it's it's to the point where 
oh, there's a token instrumental somewhere in here. Yep, there is. Oh, is there a token Alex uh, a Blecker song in here? Yep, there is. Um, <laughs> it follows the same pattern, but they do so in a way that's still really good. It didn't feel like leftovers necessarily, um, but it does feel like a sequel that they they worked hard on, at least put some effort into. It didn't feel like it was all just leftovers. Um, another example of this would be Phoenix. Uh, their, um, I don't know if it's even their, their debut LP. Phoenix has been around for a while, but the one that everyone knows is their debut LP, the Wolfgang uh, Amadeus Phoenix one, uh, going into Bankrupt. Bankrupt feels very much like a sequel, or it's like, okay, mm-hmm. what we did in Phoenix, the uh, self-titled, let's crank it up to 11 and go even further with just how crazy it is. Um, so it still is kind of a sequel in terms of the sound really didn't change that much. They just sort of cranked things up a bit. Um, but it worked. I liked Bankrupt. Uh, I liked Atlas. So this sort of approach can work, but it doesn't really leave a lasting impression for me for the most part. So, you know, we kind of have tears here. Sophomore Slump, the worst case scenario. Sequelitis, like, all right, you know, you didn't harm anything. You didn't really set any ground, but you did all right. But then we have the rare ones, the transformative sophomore LPs, where the original sound is is there. Like, you can sort of know, you know it's the same band. You know it's the same people. But it is an entirely different experience. It's, it's an entirely, it's almost like uh, Steven Spielberg. You know when you're watching a Steven Spielberg movie. But it's not like every movie he does is a sequel of a one he did in the past. It's different material, it's different moods, it's different sort of uh, takes on different stories, but you know it's a film of his. Um, and that's sort of the same way that I view this. Uh, an example of this is Fleet Foxes going into their self-titled into Helplessness Blues, which uh, you guys may know is my favorite record of all time. <laughs> uh, it's definitely, definitely not like their breakout LP, but the heart is there, um, the foundation is there, but they experiment in so many different ways with different sounds and different approaches to how the music was made that there's no way it could be qualified as a sophomore something. There's definitely no way it could be counted as a sequelitis. If it was, they would have just done more like uh, olden times uh, harmonizing <laughs> sort of things like they were doing in Fleet Foxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and another example is George Will Simpson, uh, Metamodern Sounds and Country Music, um, literally just, you know, good country music, nothing particularly crazy and then a sailor's guide to earth is this massive production it all flowed together it was a big ambitious thing that sounds practically nothing like even country music let alone the first lp meta modern sounds and country music so um that's sort of the ideal for what the sophomore lp should be like um and it almost never happens so the question becomes which one is strange tales going to be Is it going to be a sophomore slump? Is it going to be a sequelitis? Is it going to be uh, transformative? Is it actually going to be like a great follow-up? And to be honest, going into it, I was wanting a sequelitis. I was really wanting Lonesome Dreams 2. That's what I had my heart set on. (laughs) That's what I really Mm -hmm. wanted to do. I wanted lonesome, uh, lonerism sort of just experience. uh, An no, introvert's guide to the woods. <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank you. An introvert's guide to the woods. I like that. I was definitely wanting something else like that. Like, okay, where else is he going to go on this adventure? Um, I wanted the sound to remain the same. I was definitely looking for a sequel. Um, 
So, yeah, that's definitely what I was looking for in terms of expectations. I don't know if we want to get into initial impressions yet. Yeah, um, let, let's hold on that. But l- let me ask you this. With transformative people who have, you know, somehow managed to place their sophomore album in the transformative bucket, do they – what's the common denominator between them? What do they all have in common? I mean, I find it hard to believe that they're just that more creative than everyone else. Um, do you think it's because they they want to try something different? I, I think, yeah, that is it. It's the drive to really want to push themselves into new material, new things. Um, there are bands out there that dwell on sort of the same sound for their entire careers, and they're very successful doing it, and power <clears> to Jimmy them. Jimmy Buffett. <clears throat> Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm not going to knock it. It, no, works, it works, and like there are times where even I want something like that. I want something that definitely sounds very similar. Like you could have mixed two songs from mm-hmm. two different records, and I wouldn't even known. It's like um, there's it's like you know what you're getting into, kind yeah. of. Yeah, always. yeah. But that's not how everyone wants to approach things. There are people out there that really want to make every single work they do very new, pushing the boundary. Like, I mean, not to get oldie on you guys, but I mean, the Beatles were very much like this too, mm-hmm. where, I mean, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band is really nothing like anything else they did. Same with the White Album, pretty much like nothing they'd ever done before. Uh, every record they did, at least after Rubber Soul, definitely had a unique new sort of sound to it uh they're always pushing themselves always pushing the boundaries so there there is a place for bands like that and i guess what distinguishes them is really the drive to do that Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah well i mean i also think a common denominator between the people in the transformative category is that they're risk takers because if you think about it if you went over the hearts of so many people with your you know original album and you have this such a dedicated and loyal fan base, I mean, you really risk alienating them if you do something different, something that's transformative and pushes the boundaries. So I think that for me, I would add another characteristic to bands that fall into that bucket where, yeah, they they are naturally curious and wanting to better their craft. But also I think they're a little risk – they got a little risk taker in them because they're willing to sacrifice – potentially alienating some of their followers, betting on the fact that most will will go with them into this new thing. That's a great point. That's that's definitely mm-hmm. true. That's my two cents. But so I'm I'm gonna toss it over to you, Michael. What were your expectations going into Strange Trails? Yeah, so I would say it was kind of similar to Mark in the sense that I was kind of expecting them, I think, to not necessarily specifically return to Huron and Helena, but to another kind of like 1800s-esque nature adventure style tale and i really wanted to like kind of revisit those nature landscapes that seemed like like we were discussing before it seems so relatable but yet kind of mysterious and full of fantasy so i would say that um i heard that i was i was expecting uh, i guess overall i was expecting strange trails to really make me feel like lonesome dreams did and I think that's why when it probably first came out, I think I was pretty hesitant to actually dive right into it because it was kind of one of those scenes where it's like I kind of didn't want to know what was under the album cover. Like <laughs> I kind of preferred to have it like uh, this on the shelf object that I could kind of like idealize, be like, mm, yes, that would have been a great album. But it's <laughs> it's like I was a little bit like hesitant, I guess, to say because I'm like if for me, Lonesome Dreams was, I mean, it was just this big like 
breakout album for me. And like we discussed before, it came out at the right time in my life when we started to get more adventurous and started doing the siblings trip. And it like a lot of the songs were correlated personally to feelings I felt in my life too. And so like, I really felt I had a personal connection to the album. And so the thought then of this second album, not living up to it was just like, Oh dang it. I really don't want to go through that disappointment. So, um, I mean, this is kind of leading a little bit into first impressions, but I mean, that's why I, I think I, one of my first past listens was actually live in concert, Amy, when you and I went, I don't think I actually really sat down and listened to the full album until afterwards. Cause I was like, are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was a bit hesitant to dive into it. It's true. It, it We saw them live very soon after the album dropped. Um, mm-hmm. Michael came to visit me in Chicago and we went down and, and they did a real mix in their show of Lonesome Dreams and Strange Trails. And I think that's why my expectations going into Strange Trails were so open-minded is because we heard it live first Mm, i would say so yeah i think that helped a lot because it Mm -hmm. was kind of like it was kind of like lord here on taking me by there and be like it's okay it's okay Mm -hmm. we'll we'll kind (laughs) of like we'll do a little lonesome dreams for you and introduce you in a strange (laughs) baby steps right (laughs) yeah baby steps baby steps so um i would say like um again i don't know if we want to lead into first impressions but i think that definitely helped in my mind, it was like, I didn't think the second album could live up to the first because I just had this attitude. I'm like, well, how could it? it mm-hmm. I kind of had a crappy attitude towards it. And that kind of made me kind of drag on my feet a little bit because I was like, this was around the time, too, I was a fan of Mumford & Sons. So I got burned on that. I was like, you oh. poor unfortunate soul. <laughs> so, so I was like, oh, I really don't want this to suck. Yeah. So. Michael had a case of fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I got to say then when I, I remember I did watch like the teaser trailer they had for this. And it's another thing I, I love about Lord Huron. It's like, yeah, they do the singles. And like, like I discussed before though, they, they tease their albums in much more creative ways. Like the, the little um, postcards they have little video snippets, but they also did like a teaser trailer kind of like for a movie where it's like all these different audio video snippets from all these different songs and so like kind of like a collage of their video postcards and i remember watching that and being like wait what it's like, so trippy it is well yeah it's, yeah it's beyond trippy and i remember being kind of like a little bit disappointed i know this is kind of leading first impressions but I, I was. It was like I, I had so felt fallen in love with the kind of the romantic kind of cowboy style Western atmosphere of Lonesome Dreams at the thought of like a 50s greaser gang, a movie theater. I was like, I don't think there's a lot of good opportunities here. It was like it was like some of the mystery, I guess, got removed from mm-hmm. me watching this trailer. So I was like, because the 1950s kind of arrow-esque that they're kind of trying to hit at here seemed almost like too close historically that it was like it couldn't. I I was like, I don't know where they can go with this. I I don't know. So that was kind of part of why I was then kind of expecting them. Like, oh, I kind of want them to go back to Huron and Helena now, even though I was like, even though I viewed that as kind of like the sacred, no, just kind of leave it alone, let it be. Um, So yeah, that's kind of like how I was kind of going in this album. So I I would say I didn't have the best attitude, but um, uh, but yeah, I, I would say that's, it was primarily because of lo- how Lonesome Dreams was held up in my head and then watching some of this teaser trailer material and being kind of just 
a little bit off-put by like, whoa, they're kind of heading to a, a different direction than I was expecting. So, Yeah, totally. I mean, like you, Michael, I had very high expectations going into Strange Trails just because I connected so deeply with Lonesome Dreams and the stories that they told in those songs. Um, because, you know, like, like you, Michael, it came, Lonesome Dreams, I mean, came at a time in my life when I had minimal commitments. Um, I had, you know, just broken up with a long-term boyfriend and, you know, had graduated from college and had money and (laughs) what, (laughs) what do I do with this? (laughs) And so I could literally explore all aspects of my life, um, even locations. So I traveled countries and things like that. And those experiences just really aligned with the tone and the theme of Lonesome Dreams. Um, Fast forward to, was it 2015 when they dropped Strange Trails? Um, I was in a very different place where, um, you know, I had kind of settled down a a bit on the traveling and um, was focusing more on my career and trying to make, make something of myself there in that space. And because of that, I got some really tough work assignments that just like, I mean, 16, 18 hour days, things that were high pressure, things that just, I mean, you, you kind of put every other aspect of your life on hold so that you can, you know, work on the grind. And, um, with that, you know, that comes with a certain like melancholy and a different attitude than the exploratory, whimsical, lonesome dreams mindset. So going into strange trails, I don't know. I think I expect. I like very vaguely expected something great, but I don't think I really wanted another whimsical, like Trapes the World album because I wasn't there in my life, you know, and I didn't want to be working, you know, at 2 a.m. on some testing script when, oh, let's go explore the mountains and the trails and the forest is playing through my computer. I think I would have been really pissed (laughs) that that wasn't me. So I don't know what I expected except for great things. And all I know is that I I don't think that another Lonesome Dreams would have been well-received by me. Then we went to go see them live in concert, and I was like, oh, my God. I, I don't know if you remember, Michael, but it was dark. Like, any Lonesome Dreams stuff was dark, mm-hmm. which was really aligning to my mood at the time, like, <laughs> um, as terrible as that sounds. So I was really excited from the live performance to go home and just, like, put on the album and listen to it top to bottom. And um, – and so that's kind of where I was going into Strange Trails, which is totally wildly different than I was going into Lonesome Dreams. But anyway, so that that's kind of where all three of us were going into the second album. So I'm I'm interested to see because I expect our answers to differ a little. You know, after that first listen, what were your first impressions? I mean, did it what mark well we'll start with mark what what bucket did you put it in originally it's okay um i didn't even know what bucket to put it in initially because it was definitely not a sequel um and i didn't necessarily think of it as a sophomore slump necessarily but i didn't want to put it in transformative either so i didn't really know what it was um it was just such a shock to the system as michael was saying like suddenly we're rockabilly now like what it was so out there so explain explain rockabilly to me um i don't I, honestly i do not think i'll be able to very well because <laughs> when i hear it this is what i think and let me know if i'm i'm accurately portraying this but 
Okay, so I think of rockabilly as like rockability plus or like rocking plus hillbilly. So I think like country <laughs> greaser. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I know just the meta knowledge that like okay, rockabilly stuff that was like nineteen uh, sixties sort of rock and stuff, um, okay. yeah. or maybe even nineteen fifties. Uh, I, I forget. Yeah, um, you, you can look at that too. Like, I mean, this kind of be head, but they throw in the Bo Diddley beep as an undertone to <laughs> "Fool for <laughs> Love." I mean, there yeah, definitely are yeah. kind of rockabilly kind of aspects. So yeah. Hmm. So yeah, initial impressions. It's okay. Um, and in fact, like I think the only reason I was really not as jazzed on it after the first and second listen was that the second half has, at least during my first listen, the second half has a huge slump. Like I just lost all hey, momentum. Hey now. Hey now. <laughs> I lost all momentum. I I didn't dig it. I didn't know why all of a sudden all the energy was gone. Like I I in my opinion it lost the tight pacing. it was just not there for me. So at best I was giving it an it's okay. And I just mostly honestly put it on the shelf. Like I was, I was done with it. So you listened once and then not again for a long time. Uh, yeah, I didn't really listen to it that often afterwards. Um, I think the thing that made me return to it was Michael getting me the limited edition comic book print as like a supplementary thing, I think for my birthday. And, uh, Again, uh, funnily enough, seeing them live, I think, is what made me really return to it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Interesting. What about you, Michael? Initial impressions? So my initial impressions were, this is a little long. Um, and actually looking back at it, I did look at my iTunes scene. If we take away Stranger, the bonus track from Lonesome Dreams, uh, Strange Trails is an extra 10 minutes. It's 56 versus 46. And I think because Strange Trails went for a more kind of vignette with a more plethora of characters and just kind of hops around vaguely across this world that it didn't make things seem to go as fast, if that makes sense. Cause because we bounce between three primary characters in Lonesome Dreams and it's like you're going through this this kind of disjointed storyline and going through it. And it's just it seems more coherent and I think that's what made it kind of go seem to be like oh wait it's over like oh dang it like i i remember wanting more out of lonesome dreams and i remember after finishing strange trails i was like okay yeah like just kind of like okay i'm kind of it was i remember really liking select singles but i remember being kind of like i was saying before a little bit off put by some of them because like we just discussed they they get pretty dark i mean that that's kind of the big change between lonesome dreams and strange trails at least the um, kind of the subject matter and the dark, uh, the dark tones of it, and I think that in combination with just kind of how it's more vignette style, I remember finishing and just being like, "It's it's okay. It's definitely not Grand Slam ten out of ten quality." But I remember being like, "I I want to return for these singles," and that's what kind of got me to continue to listen to it. And as I was listening to it more and more, that's when I started to appreciate then more of the other singles but from the get-go it was my first impressions were and it's it's a bit long and what's this about because it wasn't like sender characters it just seemed to be kind of hopping all over the place so yeah and for those of you who are joining us maybe for the first time you know it, it might be a good idea to go back and, and listen to the lonesome dreams podcast because we really talk a lot about how the entire album is a cohesive story 
you know, it's it's not in chronological order. Um, the chapters are jumbled, but it, it is the same characters and it's it's a tale that you can follow. Um, and this, yeah, I agree with you, Michael. It's the best way I can describe it. Um, yeah, it, it's like all the same world. It's uh, uh, more characters. Um, and it's kind of like, um, you know, when you go see a play live and they're trying to show what's going on at the same time, but in like different places and they'll like make the stage dark and they'll change a bunch of scenery and then they'll bring out new actors and they'll do like, this is what's happening at this point in time. And then the, the stage will go dark again and they'll change the scene again and new characters and the same time this is going on. Um, that's kind of what this album to me feels like is like all of these things are kind of going on at the same time. And in between set songs, we get that, that darkening of the stage and then it comes back up and then it darkens. And so you, you kind of get this, like this jolt um, between songs where Lonesome Dreams is just so melodic and carries you effortlessly song to song. Mm -hmm. This is kind of like, and this is going on and this is going on <laughs> and this is going on. <laughs> yeah. You get like whiplash from switching places yeah. so quickly. Mm -hmm. Also, I, I have a confession kind of on this first impressions is I, I cannot tell you who the characters are where Lonesome Dreams, like I was able to figure that out. Um, pretty quickly who our main players were here i don't know if i much care <laughs> <laughs> no it's true i i mean because to me the story or like the the way it made me feel and the way i identified with it was so much greater than the interest i had in like the fictional tale mm -hmm. um yeah but anyway so, Michael, sorry to hijack your first impressions, but no, no, that's all good. It's all good. Um, no, but yeah, I, I agree. That's it's an interesting point that I, I kind of feel a little bit the same way. Where I I do really care about the, the characters in the story. For it. I'm a sucker for that. I that's why I really enjoyed about Lonesome Dreams. But it almost was like too much effort to try to puzzle this together. It, and I'm still a little lost. I mean, I know. Um. A lot of the information on characters we have is like from interviews of Schneider with some people and him discussing whose perspective this song is from. But that being said, it also is kind of fun to just kind of view this as like, well, overarching, there's this world, there's a lot of dark things going on, some apocalyptic events, and it's just different people's perspectives. And it because it's a more vague overlook, like it doesn't necessitate going to detail about necessarily the character or something like that. It's more like the characters are means to showcase what's going on in the world in the instead. World. Yeah, yeah so. totally agree. So you mentioned like apocalyptic. I mean, what other words would you use to describe this album? So that's interesting you say that because I, I, I mean, yeah, if I were to pin words on it, it would be, it sounds kind of goofy, but spooky, like ominous and just kind of, it, it, there's just like a melancholy to it. That was something that just kept on hitting me when I was just like um, re-listening to it. And I'm like, holy crap, like, I don't think there's necessarily like a happy song in this album. <laughs> All that deals with like really not true, Louisa. Well, yeah, that is not true. I was gonna say not even fool for love. Fool for love is strangely dark. Um, yeah, no, it is. Yeah, because mm -hmm. I realized like I, think, I won't get to this in our song by song breakdown, but at the end of the song, I'm like, oh my god, he's dying. <laughs> 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 like, 
this Are you reading my notes? I have that down like, did he die? I have that too. I have that exact same thing in my my show notes. But and it's funny because you're like at a sock hop in this song and it's like mm-hmm. do 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 and you get to the end and you're like, Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god, they killed Kenny. But I would argue that there is there is a light a positive song, but it's it's not the one you would expect. Yeah, so I I I, I probably missed that. And I'd be really interested to see which uh which one you guys are seeing as the um the positive one because I definitely missed that. Um, but I would say then overall majority, it, it, they're very much dark. Um, no, I'd agree with that. Dark kind of uh, 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 song. So yeah, I guess to answer your question, it'd be kind of ominous, kind of spooky and melancholy. The the subject matters are dark. They deal a lot with grief, death, and kind of. 2015 amy <laughs> yeah and, and these like fantastical kind of apocalyptic events like uh the walking dead and stuff like that it, it's for that it's really interesting but definitely not a lonesome dreams where it's like let's go explore the wilderness yeah adventure it's a little bit different <laughs> well yeah it's interesting because lonesome dreams had like danger and adventure um for mm-hmm. sure um but there was just kind of like a whimsical film over everything um so even though he's like we know you know like one of the characters is damned in lord huron like um and that he's got people after him and he's like running and all this stuff i don't know i just it just felt very chris columbus christopher columbus like harry potter's one through three to me you know in the Mm -hmm. whimsical in the level level of whimsy i'll I'll put it that Mm, way i definitely agree yeah yeah, it, it, I think a lot of that was uh, Lord Huron himself and his outlook. Like, cause he was always taking it in, like in stride. Yeah, it's just already sort of like uh, hand soloing it. Like, oh, all right, I guess we're doing this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, that's cool. Well, you know, my first impressions were um, a little different. I, I didn't have any initial disappointment with Strange Trails, and I think, like I said, a lot of that is where that was, where it came. You know, in my life, I had. It just made – I made a more instant connection with the album. And, you know, I just – I remember putting this album on repeat. I kid you not. I would be, like, having to work in really large chunks of time on something really mentally exhausting. Um, and basically my, <laughs> my job was, like, look at all these numbers and test the solution and figure out all the possible things that could go wrong and then test for that wrong outcome. And, you know, it's – so you're constantly thinking in the most, like, worst-case scenario way as you're going through all this testing. And so, you know, and it's 2, 3 in the morning. You're like, oh, my gosh, where is the 9 to 5? And then you're listening to these kind of they're, – they're pumpy. They're like – you can really rock to them. They're more upbeat. But, like, when you listen to the words, I'm like, yes – Yes, I feel like death right now. <laughs> so I just like really, really identified with um, the tone and then the beat kept me going in those late nights. So like I just – I put it on repeat and I loved it from day one. Um, but what I also really loved is that this this wasn't a personal diary of an album. So like it wasn't as if I knew anything that was going on in – the band members' lives from from listening to either Lonesome Dreams or Strange Trails. And, 
you know, that's so different than what we have nowadays with like, I don't know, if you turn on the radio and you hear Justin Bieber singing, you're like, oh, so he must have broken up with that girl. <laughs> I just want to say he's sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, but that's guys. what I mean is is that the band does such a good job at maintaining their anonymity and um, you know, being more private by singing about stuff that's just made up. I mean, I'm sure it has a basis of what they're going through in their lives. Like maybe the songwriter, Ben Schneider, maybe he was going through a really more in his head time and, and facing dark thoughts and things like that. And maybe that's why we have Strange Trails. But he doesn't explicitly tell you that. And I really like that was my first impression. I really liked that about the album that we're put in this world that's darker, a little spookier, but it's totally. I don't know. I didn't feel the need to like go on people.com and figure out what happened to Ben Schneider to make him write this. You know? <laughs> who hurt you? Yeah. Who, who hurt Ben? No. <laughs> Which is really cool. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that for, um, I, I, I forget which interview it was, but I was reading some stuff online before this podcast. And that was something that he said in an interview is that like the whole fame and kind of glamorous celebrity is like celebrity status is like his own personal hell so the band definitely values their privacy for sure yeah i i agree and so that was that was my first impressions of the album as i fell in love with it but i think it's because i expected something different and i needed something different at the time and for me it was an instant 10 out of 10 so we we kind of have talked about this already but Let's talk about kind of the the feel of the album in general um, before we get into the the song by song commentary. I know Michael, you've you've said some stuff. I've said some stuff, but Mark, I haven't heard much from you on just like the tone of the album. I guess we'll do the same thing that Michael had. If you had to describe it in a couple of words, what would you say? Well, to to channel my Paul McCartney for a while, it's the duality. Um, <laughs> going back to what I said earlier, that the second half, to me at first listen, really seemed like a slump. These are two halves of like the same coin we're looking at here. The first half is a distinct half, and the second half is a distinct half, and they play off each other in a sort of yin-yang relationship. There's very much cause and effect going on in in this record um so if if i had to describe the tone uh, it's uh I'd go, i'm gonna go a little meta here and say meta it it plays with the meta structure of an album itself to tell its story even though it's like abstract it's not focusing on individual characters to the extent that lonesome dreams did it definitely is using the meta structure of there's literally a disc here and literally another disc here this is one disc this is another disc and it plays with the fact that there are two of those going on to spin out what he wants to say. Um, and I find that really interesting. And actually, that's the first thing that comes to mind when I think of Strange Trails now is is the well, the duality <laughs> going on here. The play <laughs> interplay between the first uh, disc and the second disc. Yeah. Huh. Hmm. All right. It's interesting you mentioned that, Mark. Um, I it, that's That's definitely a perspective that I... I never have because I don't. I'm not a vinyl listener. I'm very much just kind of. It's just on my iTunes, and I just kind of rip through it. Um, so that's always an interesting perspective that I, I at least I should probably be employing is how is this split up on a vinyl? Because you're right, some artists really do take advantage of that, and 
do use that as an opportunity to have kind of like an intermission or kind of a shift in tone or um, kind of like you're saying the duality. That's really interesting. I never <laughs> thought of it that way. Yeah. Although if you have if you have to say that word again, you have to do it with the accent. <laughs> Duality. Yeah. I don't know. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Michael, it is. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, let's get into our song by song commentary. Um, so, Mark, we'll we'll start with you with "Love Like Ghosts." This is the entrance, our, our first point of contact with Strange Trails. What? What do you think? So I'm going to sort of step out of my initial impression mode here and uh, just talk more about like what I know and think now, because um, I think we already covered a bit of initial impressions. But um, yeah, Love Like Ghosts, um, there are not one, but two full-length reprises of this song on this record. Okay, stop. A non-musical person question. What is a reprise? Um, a reprise is a sort of, it's a return, it's a, a repeat, more or less, uh, with a, a spin, whether it's maybe like uh, different lyrics, maybe mm-hmm. it's a different key, mm-hmm. maybe it's a shortened version, um, maybe it just calls back in some vein to the song. It's 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 a thematic repeat, more or less. Okay. So in Love Like Ghosts, would that be the, now that I've seen your face? Oh, uh, no, actually, that's more of like a, a returning theme thing and i'll be getting to uh, i'll be getting yeah. to that mm-hmm. um in that love like ghost so i'm gonna skip ahead a bit here um well actually no i'm gonna keep it a surprise which ones are the reprise we'll 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 get back to that um but some examples that maybe listeners may be aware of is um the beatles they do this stuff all the time specifically paul mccartney he loves reprises look at ram ram literally and so amy for you uh ram was a a full-length song mm-hmm. and he split up the song like two-thirds <laughs> of it is uh I think the second or third track of Ram. Okay. And then the the remaining uh, third, he stuck on as the second to last song on the record. Um, <laughs> it was one fully thing and he split it up. So the reprise is kind of like a recurrence of a very similar song later in the album. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Same, same chords or same like uh, 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 structure, all that sort of stuff. Got it. Okay. And that's sort of the the base core to Strange Trails, as I found out, this love like ghosts. Um where we're, you're right, like this, there's so much going on in this record, so many different places constantly shifting around, but we're always going back to this. We're always going back to this smoky ass bar where this song is taking place. Um, and that's sort of our foundation as we're thrown around every which way during this record. Um, and that was really masterfully done because that gives us some sort of footing during this wild ride. Um, and allows us to keep pace with what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and yeah, actually, so you mentioned prior, um, there are, n- after numerous listens, I noticed a lot of nice musical thematic callbacks to the quote-unquote old Lord Huron, Lonesome Dreams, mm-hmm. um, that completely flew over my head the first time I was listening to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was very purposefully done all the times that he has done this, because it sort of echoes back from the past. Like, we're still here. We are. Like, this is us. And then now we're going back into this new thing. Like, we're, it's just sort of a nice reminder that this is the band that we know and love. Um, and uh, there's sort of a musical break for a few measures uh, near maybe the uh, uh, two-third mark and Love Like Ghosts that sounds 
very similar to the now that I've seen your face, I'm haunted by mm. the letters in your name part of uh, The Stranger, um, which was a mm. bonus track in Lonesome Dreams and uh, track on one of their EPs. And uh, yeah, no, uh, listeners and you guys as well, next time you're listening to Love Like Ghosts, listen for that musical break. The, the note breakdown is almost exactly the same, maybe in a different key, but it is there. The now that I've seen your face, I'm haunted by the letters in your name. Like, it is right there, crystal clear in Love Like Ghosts, huh. before it slinks back into the smoky uh, bar song that is Love Like Ghosts. Yeah, so is Love Like Ghost, would you consider that a reprise of Lonesome Dreams? No, 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 no. The, uh, the, the sort of now that I've seen your face callback is just a thematic callback. Mm. And that's something that uh, uh, movie soundtracks do all the time. For example, uh, John Williams, we know what Luke Skywalker's <laughs> theme is. We know what Yoda's mm-hmm. theme is. And he'll sort of throw callbacks to those themes throughout the soundtrack. Like we see Luke popping around a corner and we hear like a little... <laughs> like, all right, all right. Yeah, no, we know what that is. That's sort of the, I don't know, rebel song or whatever. So um, it's it's more of that vein. There's definitely a distinct difference between a thematic callback and a full-blown reprise. Yeah. Uh, being that a reprise is a full-length song that is a, a repeat, more or less, of an existing song. And a thematic callback is just a, a few measures, maybe, or like mm. a little twirl somewhere that echoes back to something. Got it. So, Michael, what what is Love Like Ghosts about? Like, what's the set set the stage for us? Like, what's happening in this song? Yeah, so like Mark like Mark saying, it's um, there's like a central hub of the album, and funnily enough, it's called George's Place, as in calling back to George Ranger Johnson. Um, and so, in this kind of like Mark saying this this smoky, like at least how I envision it, it's like a '50s kind of smoky dive bar where that really is run. It's business is run by regulars, not a whole lot of different people. And in interviews, like an NPR interview, uh, the Schneider reveals who the name of the singer is, and he calls uh, he calls her Francine Lou or Frankie Lou. And um, and something uh, like it, it just it's kind of this big uh, like she's probably the regular singer at this bar, and she shows up, and you can tell she's had some life experiences. At least that's my interpretation of this is that. She's haunted either by, I, I can interpret this both ways. She's either haunted by real ghosts based on the rest of the tomfoolery of the album between like life and death. I could view it as she's haunted by true ghosts of her past, or she's just using the metaphorical ghosts to equate to loves of her past that have haunted her throughout her life. And I don't know. I, I gotta say, I love the song. This one's probably one of my favorites on the album because I just picture. Frankie as this older woman in her like late thirties to early forties, who you can tell that just has had some life experiences. Like you can tell there's probably some tired there's a tired look in her eyes and I don't know. I'd like to sit down and have a drink of Frankie and just talk. I think that would be a good time. Well, she literally compares love to ghosts. You mm-hmm. know, few have seen it, but everybody talks, you know. It they sing all day, so love is joyful all day but it haunts me in the night just like a ghost so in order to talk like love that way you'd think you'd have to have experienced you know real love and you know i agree with your assessment that she's probably late you know uh, a little older um 
you know, 30s or 40s and that, you know, and she's experienced because I don't think that would be believable coming from someone in their early 20s or in high school or something like that. You used an interesting word there to describe uh, Francine, experienced. I'll be calling back into that uh, or returning to that when we get to until until the night turns. Hmm. Uh, But very interesting choice of words there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I would definitely say instrumentally, this is one of my favorites. And so I'm really excited, Mark, to hear which ones, um, where the reprises are, because that's something that still has gone over my head on subsequent listens. You know, when I first heard this song, the first thing I thought of was Stephen King. And I'll tell you why. Um, bear with me. <laughs> but Stephen King's MO, if you – I've just recently started to like get into him and, and reading his books and things like that. And what he loves to do is very loosely tie together his novels. So it's all the same world. Um, but for instance, he wrote a book called 112263. And the main character of that book um, is traveling to go prevent the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And in in his travels, he passes through a town of Derry, Maine. And he comments, you know, as you're reading, you're reading this character's internal thoughts. He's like, there is something about this town that is not right. Like, no one speaks about it, but they're all afraid of something. And it's really unsettling. And he kind of dives into just, like, how eerie this town is. Well, Derry, Maine is literally the setting of his other book, It, where this clown is in the sewers eating children. So, <laughs> no. They but, all float. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he does that, that loose tie in. So he, he brings his worlds so close to almost the point of collision, um, but they never touch. They just kind of barely, barely brush shoulders, you know? And, and he does that. And I feel like Love Like Ghosts and Lonesome Dreams does that a little bit, Mark, with what you were talking about with that thematic little drop of, now that I've seen your face. And then Michael with George's Place and George Ranger Johnson, it's it's getting close enough but not colliding. Um, and I feel like this is kind of going to be um, really interesting to see how Lord Huron, you know, this is probably getting too far, but goes forward is I think he's going to continue to weave this tapestry kind of like Stephen King, kind of like he did in Love Like Ghosts, where all of these songs and these albums exist in the same world, but they just kind of brush shoulders at some points over the songs. Um, so I th- I thought Love Like Ghosts, my first overarching impression was Stephen King. <laughs> um, do you guys mind if we move on to Until the Night Turns? Sure. All right. Yeah. So this for me was interesting because what he what what they're singing about and the feel of the song are very opposite ideas. Mm-hmm. Um right, they're singing about the the world ending, like the end the apocalypse. Um but I kind of want to dance to the song. <laughs> so <laughs> Do you guys feel the same way? Am I crazy? No, it's a very danceable song. It's a oh, great yeah. song. Unlike anything that Lord Huron has done in the past as well. Like nothing in Lonesome Dreams, nothing in the prior EPs was anything like this in terms of just wanting to groove along with it, to dance along with it. It's so upbeat. It's so or at least in terms of the the music itself, it's just an absolute ride. And uh mm-hmm. they did so 
expertly. Like you would have thought that they wouldn't be able to do it because all of their prior songs are more slow or melodic, and then suddenly something uh, uh, really danceable comes up like this. Yeah, for sure. It's this is a fun song because, like Amy says, it's it's dealing with the the narrator of the song pretty much has a vision that the world is ending like and he says all right screw it like he, he i just envision him being this is kind of like all right i should back up this is this kind of reflects i think a little bit of the same structure as ends of the earth where you have this guy this narrator of the song that's had this crazy vision of worlds colliding and the world ending and we got like one last day the world's ending soon he's, and he just after he gets his vision he's like oh crap and just like is completely like in kind of panic mode a little bit and he's going and talking to his talking to his his love interest in this kind of this paragraph here what if the world dies at the sunrise the the woman asks and he's like baby it's all right we'll be up all night what if we're unmade when the stars fade keep me going till the night turns into day it's like this exasperated just like come on babe no questions now get in the car we got one last night just kind of like it's just kind of a fun kind of subject matter it's just it and it really re- reminded me as i was re- reading through the lyrics i'm like holy crap this is kind of like an adrenaline filled end of the earth apocalyptic themed <laughs> like yeah I like that <laughs> it's like obsessive young love a little too kind of like saw copy and vibe um but like that honeymoon phase of love where mm-hmm. literally nothing else matters the end <laughs> the end of the world is happening but they are together and they've got like a bottle of booze <laughs> and they're <laughs> just gonna <laughs> hang out together but it's 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 kind of juvenile too in that way, right? I mean, mm-hmm. these characters. Yeah, no, it's very innocently sweet. Yeah, yeah. I just love this 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 line. I got a hell of a view from the end of the world. I got a bottle of booze and a beautiful girl. If I'm gonna die, I'm gonna go out in style. I'm like perfect. <laughs> Break out the lawn chairs. We're we're getting a front row seat. Yeah, totally. I actually mm-hmm. envision the like visual I have with this is like um, they're sitting on the hood of his car. Like very nineteen oh, fifties, yeah. yep. kind of at maybe like a makeout spot. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah. And they're seeing the sun go down. I don't know. I, I kind of envision it as like an overlook out on the town and they're watching the sun go down and they're you know, the girl's got the like full length skirt and the the white socks and the like bowling type shoes, <laughs> Mary Jane's or whatever. <laughs> um yeah, and they they have booze in a paper bag, and the guy's just like, "Well, the world's ending, but whatever. You're pretty." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I've been holding my tongue out, but uh, this is a uh, now's as good a time as any. So we've been throwing around that oh, this song is really you know it's young love, it's innocent, but it's fun. Um, oh, and the prior song "Love Like Ghosts," there's very like moody, uh, older person experienced view on life. From Until the Night Turns to Fool for Love, that is one, two, three, four, five songs, they all exemplify some form of innocence, um, whether it be in sort of a positive light, like uh, you are very, you know, young and sweet, and like this is a, you know, you know what, uh, good on you, ha- have fun during the, yeah. the world end. <laughs> like, you can be innocent, but have some sort of wisdom, um, but then... Uh, every song after this explores different aspects of that, and I can't help but compare this, bringing out my college English 101 yeah. here, but it it seems so deliberate. It has to have been a conscious decision on Lord Huron's part, where it seems to be a lot like William Blake's Songs of Innocence and Experience, where on the first 
part, at least for William Blake's, it's the first like chunk of the collection of poetry. It all explores innocent characters with every sort of angle you can view innocent, whether it be naive and foolish or um, full of wonder and happiness and uh, everything in between. And on the second half of collection of poems explores the experience side and everything that comes with that. Um, you know, worldly wisdom, inner peace, but also like bitterness and uh, the pain that comes with experience sometimes. And I find a lot of these, this, this meta pattern, this, this schema, I find this applies really well to strange trails because starting with until the night turns and for the rest of this first half of the disc, uh, we, we see this. We see a lot of innocence. Um, and I'm looking forward to exploring the rest of the songs with you guys. But uh, before I do, I got to mention, because no one else has, that w- what is that? Is that a slick six saxophone at the end? Mm, it's beautiful. It's I gorgeous. Know, I don't know, Mark. I didn't know what a reprise was. So, <laughs> like, you think I can identify instruments? <laughs> I had no idea that this had a saxophone at the end. I That completely passed me by. Um, I don't know if it's a saxophone, but it, it's it's something like that. It's just rocking out at the end. Like, oh, come on, you must have heard it. I couldn't tell you what it was. Um, I mean, I couldn't play hot cross buns on the recorder. Um, I don't know the difference between an oboe and a flute, so you're asking the wrong person. To be fair, no one no one can play the recorder well. Don't worry yeah, about I it. I defer to Michael on this one. That's a cruel punishment for middle schoolers. Here, play uh, the instrument. That sucks. No wonder our music teacher had like a bottle of Evil. <laughs> Just like on the top of her piano. Oh, man. Um. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Mark, question for you. I mean, is Fool for Love the the legitimate ending of the first side of the album? So, no, it is actually the world ender, but I think that's a purposeful thing where the world ender we're going to be getting to it, but the world ender functions as a transitional piece. Uh, as in okay. like here is the world of all of these innocent characters and it's going to be it's going to end here here comes the world ender and now we face the consequences now we face the effects of the uh the causes that follow or uh, that preceded it um now we see how um maybe not these particular characters in some situations but similar characters are dealing with their own uh uh demons their own actions and or uh and uh or dealing with what life throws their way and how they grow and mature from it okay so let's move on to dead man's hand the first item on my notes says desert (laughs) mine says dead hand (laughs) (laughs) which isn't i mean i don't know that's not anything new you get that in the title (laughs) but this one has um i don't know whether this was in the video postcard or not but the the image of the hand like breaking up out of the sand um and just like kind of like wiggling its fingers. Where where was that visual, Michael? Do you remember? Oh boy. Um, I think you might be right. Wasn't that the world ender? Yeah. It may be. It maybe. may be either or. Um I don't know. I I didn't watch all the postcards before this, so it may it may be the world ender, it may be 
Dead Man's Hand, but um, you know, it might be the music video for World Ender. Now that I think about it, but that's the 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 that's the image I have for this song is like like you mm-hmm. said, Mark Desert, and it's <laughs> desert, but this hand popping up out of the sand and just creepily like waving at you. So yeah. that's something I really love about this song is the instrumentals, like the guitar line is just like I don't know what they they can nail sonic landscapes like no other band it just immediately takes me to a like an abandoned desert road like the imagery is fantastic Mm. oh yeah and it's just this late at night driving traveler on a desert road he sees just this dead man 20 yards off the road and and he's just he's probably like a little bit just like oh man oh no and pulls over and it's this like young greaser dude who has like his hair slicked back and a knife in his belt Whatever, and uh, the traveler then is like, I guess I'll bury him, you know, give him a proper burial. And I just, this is just a fun song to envision, just like this dead man reaching out, grabbing his arm, be like, uh uh-uh, I'm not going yet. (laughs) Yeah, when he sees the dead dead man as well, uh, I really love, again, with the imagery... This uh, a song I think in the minor key. I I like to pretend I know what I'm talking about with uh, music, (laughs) Uh, but um, it's it's in minor key. Most of this, the narrator of the song, Buck, says like, "Oh, and I saw this guy, you know, uh, twenty yards ahead." Or before that, uh, the chords suddenly get diminished for like maybe two, three, four measures and it's a really really nice touch because it just adds that little bit of ooh okay someone's someone's dead <laughs> for non-musical listeners out there diminished chords are those things that sound like really um i don't want to say evil but ominous um you can sort of think of diminished minor and major as scales of how evil something sounds Mm. (laughs) um that's not exactly exactly the case but um that's probably a good mental model to use just to get an idea of what i'm saying Uh, major happy minor like okay something's a little bit off and diminishes just like oh this is sort of Mm -hmm. thing and uh it's definitely apparent when uh, <laughs> the dead man comes into view because mm-hmm. diminished chords come out. Hmm. Yeah. So what was really stuck out to me in the song is like the dead man isn't scary. Like he's not a zombie trying to bite the traveler that's driving through and sees him. You know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. just kind of like this dead man, like he seems really unthreatening, non-threatening because the only thing that was threatening was that he reached out and grabbed his hand when he tried to bury him. And it's like, no, I, <laughs> I know how to live, but I don't know how to die, you know, and there ain't no thrills in the afterlife, I think is the lyric. But that was about as scary as this dead guy got. He seemed pretty just chill. <laughs> yeah, it's it's almost like the dead man was more petrified of what he saw in the afterlife, that he was just like, nope, I just need a nope, not anymore. <laughs> nope, just, nope, nope, so much nope. Yeah. Yep. So I don't know. That's what I really like about this song too. Is that this song is like the second occurrence that like we as listeners are are given that like something's happening here, and this line between life and death in this world is getting blurry. Like you have in, until the night turns. You had uh, the uh, who, who who was the narrator in that one? It was that Buck. I don't remember. But um, he said I had a visitor come from the great beyond, tell me that our time in the world is done, and a watch for a sign in the midnight sky. And then we have this guy come back from the dead that's like, hey, no, there's no thrills in the afterlife here. And we have, so 
we have this vision of the apocalypse then followed straight by the walking dead and it's like okay what's happening here like something <laughs> is happening <laughs> like, yeah. so i don't know mm. it's 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 fun to think that th- this world is probably undergoing or just like everyone's kind of going through the normal motions of their life and everything but like these there's these like subtle just like weird oddities that are happening and just like something is unsettling i don't know if the dead rising is so subtle (laughs) well yeah that's true but (laughs) no but the difference between the line between dead and living is subtle i mean you literally have a dead guy and a living guy riding in the same car and they're not afraid of one another you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i mean they might i mean without i think he mentions that like the dead guy smells but aside from that there's not much difference between the two right I mean, the, the dead guy's still wearing clothes. He's got a knife. He's out walking. Um, so to me, this is just kind of portraying that this dark death is not something to be afraid of. Not only that, but it's kind of like a – there's no gravitas to death. As you know, it's not as it doesn't seem as scary in the song, you know, as maybe Hollywood makes us think with like, oh, everyone dead is out to get you, like run for your life, otherwise you're gonna die too. It's it's more of that unsettling fear of death is not like living so much more fun than dying. It's it's like the dead man and um and the narrator are almost on the same team here. Yeah, both yeah. like nope don't want that afterlife nope <laughs> like it almost like yeah like you're saying it's not like the dead man's out to to like kill the narrator or eat his brains or whatever the, right. the stereotype is for zombies he's like hey man like nope no bueno <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah so, yeah i don't know so going back to innocence um this this young man that comes back from the dead his reasoning for doing so is literally that the afterlife was no fun. Yeah. That is the reason he comes back. And that's going to what you guys said about it. It's almost like in the song that death doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently the young man's just like, nah, I'm coming back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just complete disregard for, for rules, for the way things go. It's such a youthful, just like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to do my own thing. Um, <laughs> just complete disregard or not even considering what would happen by doing so, whose wrath he would incur by coming back and, you know, changing the natural order of things. So the the view on death and dead man's hand is very much just complete disregard, like yeah. uh, disregard for the rules. You know, it's it's it removed the gravitas, whereas until the night turns, death has the gravitas, but the view towards it is more who cares about it? Like if I get it, who cares? If I die, who cares? Uh, so it is a disregard just with a different sort of... Uh, uh, framing to it. Which brings us perfectly to Hurricane, um, Johnny's theme. Literally, the the first two lines of lyrics are, I get a thrill out of playing with fire because you hold your life when you hold that flame. If we're going to talk about disregard for life, <laughs> <laughs> yep. there we go. <laughs> but I love this song. I absolutely love this song. And I didn't when I first listened to it. It was kind of one of those ones where I was like, eh, uh-huh. You know, <laughs> but, you know, upon subsequent listens, this one sticks out as one that I just really like and I'll sometimes repeat because I like it so much. Mark, what do you notice in the song about like that youthful kind of double make hair mentality? Well, yeah, this is, you know, young punk, more or less, just um, riding around causing trouble, rabble rouser, um, very much a youth kind of 
activity. You don't see uh, 60 year olds driving around on their motorcycles throwing uh, flaming Molotov yes. or things <laughs> of that nature. Like, um, this guy just doesn't have a care in the world, and he wants everyone to know that he doesn't have a care on the care in the world. But it's, um, it's more than – I think it's more than just like young punk because of the line where he goes, I can't sleep when there's something to do. You spend your whole life dreaming and you wake up dead. So it's kind of like he he feels like a – he knows his time is limited and he's trying to squeeze in everything he wants to do before he wakes up dead. So – I don't know. I, I think this is a little more maturity than like young punk. But yeah, I agree. I mean, definitely someone who doesn't fear death enough, I guess. No, I, I agree. Uh, the the approach there definitely could be taken as a sort of experience, but maybe the way that it's manifesting is definitely uh, an innocent way of doing so. Like, all right, then I'm going to play with fire. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's a little bit of a jump there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is the um, first uh, story glimpse we get into. Um, the Greaser Gang, uh, called the World Enders in the Strange Trails world, and this Greaser Gang is also that shows up again in the World Ender, uh, hence the name. But no, this is just kind of a, it's it's a it's kind of a fun song. I mean, the in- instrumental is is kind of upbeat, and it's just kind of like, I don't know. I think that definitely reflects the character's attitude, Johnny. Um, so I don't know. This one's a fun one. I didn't have much to say about it, but uh, but yeah, it's 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 a fun kind of more upbeat one. Because uh, I think we need those in this album, because when we head to the second half, it's like, oh boy. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, totally. Um, Uh, Real quick, Michael, so do you know what the difference is between the Phantom Riders and the World Enders? Oh, so this this might be something um, in the comic book that's described. So I forget if the Phantom Riders are mentioned in the comic book, but I know that on the LP, I took a picture of this ahead of time because... Um, I would have had all different kinds of crackpot theories as to who is who, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of that kind of got dashed when I actually looked at the uh, label of the LPs themselves, um, where uh, Dead Man's Hand is, in fact, Buck, that it's Buck Vernon, um, mm-hmm. and Love Like Ghosts, that is, in fact, Francine Liu, uh, it's what's written down, uh, Until the Night Turns is uh phantom riders and hurricane johnny's theme is phantom riders oh, so okay. i don't know if phantom riders is like what the world enders were before the world ender comes in that's like the only thing i can maybe think of either that or maybe a rival writing group i i don't know but it's not strictly the world enders at least not yet i see okay no that that helps clarify that yeah and for first time listeners all of these people are fictional in figments of the songwriter's imagination. So um, it's not that there are multiple real songwriters behind this album. It really, I think, all is Ben Schneider. But mm-hmm. yeah, this is just kind of like the the personas he creates and the where, you know, who in this made-up world is singing the song. So we talk a lot about that in our, in our first podcast um, for Lonesome Dreams, but just kind of putting it out there in case anyone new is joining us. Okay, so La Belle Fleur Sauvage, Sauvage, I took French. Thank you for taking care of that pronunciation. Yeah, yeah so, <laughs> no. Um, guys, do you know that this literally translates into the pretty wildflower? Uh, yeah, I, I was vaguely aware that it might be like beautiful flower. I didn't know what Sauvage was. <laughs> I forgot. So maybe it was like the savage, beautiful flower for all I knew. I thought it was the savage flower. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's not. It's it's literally the beautiful wildflower. I oh, see. that's nice. Yeah. And, and so I had all sorts of like 
weird reactions to this song until I took the time to just kind of think about what the title meant. And once once I realized that he was talking about wildflowers, I knew it was probably a metaphor for like a, a woman, um, kind of like Tom Petty's Wildflowers. But the whole song kind of made a little bit more sense for me then. Then you know, especially all the lyrics about how um, they're only on the mountainside for a small period of time. You know, people go trekking up there to see them, and they sometimes die. Yeah, all, all that kind of made sense to me. But this this is an oddball song, in my opinion. Yeah, on the it album, it's very odd. In mm-hmm. fact, um, this is the return of uh, audio sampling. This is the first one in the yeah. record, as far as I can tell, that has, like, a creek in the background subtly. Again, kind of hearkening back to the Lonesome Dreams days. Yeah. Yep. No, yeah, th- I did notice that too, Mark, and that was a nice little, like, oh, like... And it kind of it kind of fits with the, the scenery, like we're on some sort of mountain or something like that. It's it's nice. It's nice. But I ha- I have kind of, like, like, like you're saying, this, this song kind of stands out, and it kind of doesn't fit per se in terms of the subject matter it just kind of like changes gears a little bit but um this one i think i kind of have a weird interpretation of this i'm wondering what you guys think mm-hmm. um is that i definitely could see this as fitting in with kind of the, all this dark themes and everything but i also could see it going the other way and maybe i'm just looking too much into it but i'm like when i re-listened to it yesterday i was like you know it sounds like they're describing a siren on the mountain because like many men have died trekking up that way, and like once he's gazed upon her, man is forever changed. The bravest men return with darkened hearts and phantom pain. I'm like, okay, either this could be like all metaphorical, or this is all like describing more kind of like weird mysteriousness in this world where you have this siren on this mountain that allures men up um, onto the mountain, and then they never return the same, or they they die going up. Um, I could see it as like some sort of like mythology or bonfire story that has like been passed on through many um different generations or i also could see it as like perhaps it's just like this because it's this myth these men just make these this long arduous journey kind of like these knights wanting to capture this kind of like non-existent perfect woman and there could be something out there that's making hallucinate or they just become delusional and they blindly neglect their own well-being and they just want to try to get that that woman and or that flower or whatever and so i could i don't know i had fun kind of interpreting what this this song might mean and i don't know that's where at least where i ended up who knows that that's actually the direction they want to go towards i probably was looking looking too much into it but um that's the only way i could kind of reason on like how this may actually fit into the subject matter of the rest of the album yeah i kind of wondered if um the pretty wildflower was the object of affection and fool for love like the girl that's um being fought over it may be because the girl's girl's name is uh lily and ah hey Mm -hmm. i think we have a connection yeah hey (laughs) (laughs) yeah because i agree with you i don't think this is just about like wildflowers up on a mountain that men trek up to see i think it is about like a very beautiful girl who attracts a lot of men um but she's like such a rare breed and she's you know maybe gives you fleeting attention just like wildflowers are only fleeting for a couple of weeks in august i think no i definitely i agree i mean that's sort of the interpretation i took but michael i i really like yours (laughs) i really do (laughs) like yours a lot that would be uh feel right at home in an earlier 
uh, Lord Huron uh, EP, like Mighty or um, uh, what was the name of the other one? I forget. Oh, geez. I forget. <laughs> we always do our homework. <laughs> well, what's interesting, too, is like we've talked about, what, three or four songs now that deal with some kind of love. Um, and when we first described this album, are the words we used were melancholy, dark, um, you know, duality. Um, <laughs> but what's interesting going song by song is it's it's like a constant love, 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 love. We are hitting this topic again and again and again and again. It's just love with, mixed with different things and different themes. And this one, it just seems like kind of that unrequited love. You know, a lot of men are falling in love with this beautiful wildflower, but she doesn't love them back. <laughs> going back to the innocence thing I was going with. So, uh, La Belle Fleur Sauvage. Um, yeah, it's very much like that. It's a crush, more or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And this person does not care, <laughs> apparently, what uh, this this woman thinks. It's just like, no, when I die, she, I want her lying by my side in my grave. Um, <laughs> he just, like, it's no like, oh, I, I hope she feels the same way about me. It's just like, no, like, I'm going to pluck that flower. Like, he just... <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, which could be taken so a, a few ways. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's very much, I, I can't help but feel that's a very uh, naive, youthful, like, crush. Um, yeah. And pot- potentially a bit of an obsession, the way that it's framed with, like, I'd give it all and I will be the one to pluck that fleur. Like, it, it feels very much like in in a stereotypical uh, sitcom, like a jock talking about uh, uh, a girl that the main characters is also like pining for, like, uh, and the the jock would be portrayed in a bad way, like, oh, I'd give it all, love that girl, I'll be the one to get her. Like, I, I that's maybe I'm construing it a little bit, but I I do get the sense that the singer of this song, um, it's not necessarily a uh, a requited love, and it's not necessarily a it's it's more on the obsession side of things. I really mm-hmm. like that word, a crush. Um, so simple, but you're right. I and not I, maybe unrequited is not the right category. Yeah, it, it's it's a high school crush. <laughs> I agree mm-hmm. with you. Another thing I really like about this, uh, I, I this may be jumping ahead, is just the the melodic end to this song, like just the little like strumming and just like it's just like the perfect. It reminded me a lot of the like masterful transitions in lonesome dreams is how we transition from this to fool for love. Mm. Yeah. This is one of my favorite on, on this album for sure. Well, it's so much better than the transition from hurricane to this song. I mean, hurricane mm-hmm. ends like it is yep. just done and there's blackness. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the song kind of comes in. So yeah, that's an interesting point. May, which really supports probably your theory, Amy, that this is describing Lily, the, uh-huh. the flower straight into here we have then i believe it's buck is the subject for fool for love then you're uh-huh. right who is going for lily and that's something in the music video too if you look it's big jim has lily on his tattooed on <gasps> his arm and then buck pulls yes. up his sleeve and he also has lily so i think you're making a good connection there i think you're mm, thinking right. like it yeah um so remind me because i like i said i i have not connected with characters in this album like i did in lonesome dreams so who who do we have? Who are the players in Fool for Love, the next song? So we have Buck Vernon, who is the younger dude, uh, who's kind of the narrator of the song. And then we have this this kind of just big, tough guy, Big Jim, who's supposedly, I guess, is either the maybe the 
big brother or love interest of Lily. It's never really disclosed. Um, but I mean, it's a whole kind of cast of characters in the sense that I think we, in the music video, at least we also have the world unders that show up in the background. It's really kind of fun. It's, it, it, and it all takes place at George's place again here. We have little hints of the depth of the world you have. Oh, there's the greaser gang in the background. And uh, it's just, it's just kind of fun. It just kind of helps connect it all a little bit. But that that's those are kind of the central um, characters. I think there is, there's probably I think Johnny is in this one as well. Um, I think he, at least in the music video, alludes that that's Johnny. They have more of a central lead of the Greaser Gang that's there. Um, so I don't know. This this is a fun one, and I guess I guess since I am talking about the music video, in in general, I'm not a huge fan of music videos. I, I typically think they don't add much to the music experience because they're typically just some singer songwriter lip syncing and dancing around or being moody and artsy staring off in a distance it's like okay this really isn't adding anything like why <laughs> like but um again this is lord huron taking every opportunity to add creative depth to their world and using a music video really show like hey here's george's place here's oh look you can see in the background there's the world enders hey, the, their greaser jackets on it's a full like b-movie production yeah and it's a blast and there's so many little Easter eggs to pick up, like I was saying. Like, for example, when Buck is being chased on the rooftops by the Greaser gang, um, there's a sign, there's a big billboard ad that says just feeling lost, and it just has a phone number. And I checked, it's now disconnected, but before, when this was just released, you could call that number, and it was like a text-based adventure over the phone. Oh, no <laughs> it kidding. Was, yeah, it was, it was a blast. So, I mean, like... Again, this is going back to what we discussed in the first podcast of why I love this band is that there's always just little nooks and crannies and you can tell they have just a passion and love for their craft in the sense that they they use every opportunity they have to build their world. Nothing's like wasted space. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, this is this is just a, a straight up fun song um, in terms of like the Bo Diddley beat in the background. It's it's a fun one. So, Michael, I, you're remind, reminding me of I watched an interview that Ben Schneider did uh, with someone at Lollapalooza a couple of years ago. And one of the comments that he made was that that songwriting is really like this economical art form, that you have three to four minutes to tell a story and evoke a, a feeling or make people feel something. Um, but sometimes you can't fit it all in there, so you have to put it elsewhere. And I think that like that phone number that you were talking about, that's one of those instances where he put it elsewhere. Or like his album art or these little like – um, music videos, you know, really enrich the story beyond the three to four minutes of the song that, you know, telling the story. So, I, yeah, I think that a lot of these little Easter eggs that you mentioned that you need to pick up, this is the overflow where he has so much more to tell in the story but can't fit it all in the in the lyrics. Nice. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's it's definitely reflected on what he's saying in the interview in his art form for sure. Something that I picked up, um, I, I, this album to me feels very much like a fall, but more on the winter side of things kind of record. It's interesting. There's some records that I listen to that I'm like, this is a summer record. Like, the, uh, you know, obviously vacationer stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are, you know, non-obvious ones. There are just something about it feels wintry or something about it feels like a summer or a spring like inheritance it feels like yeah. an autumn album yeah 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 um fool for love um there's beautiful wintry kind of snow imagery going on at the beginning of this song 
there's no like sleigh bells or obnoxiously obvious things like that. I mean, Lord Huron, we wouldn't expect that from them. They would never do something like that, but they would do a subtle other thing to sort of hint at what weather and what time of year it is. And I can't help but listen to this song at the beginning of this song and not feel just the light sprinkling of snow starting to fall, you know, indicating the change of the seasons. And, um, this is supported by the fact that there's, you know, a song literally called The Frozen Pines later on the second half of the record, so it might not be unfounded that that might be the case. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, also in the, it's supported, Mark, also by the lyrics in here, because I believe that, um... He's laying in snow. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's laying in, he's laying in snow, and poor Buck dies. I... I yeah, I drift into the great unknown. I really don't know where I'm going. Oh, dude, you're dead. Yeah, <laughs> so I don't think Lily even knows his name. I have that in my notes. Like, the way it's written, it's just like, before I ride away, I'm going to ask Lily to be my bride. I know there's another man, but he's not going to delay my plans. I know <laughs> she's going to be my wife. I'm going to fall in love. going to live my life with her. She doesn't know who the fuck this guy is. Yeah. No, I got the same exact feeling that I was just like, okay, like, this is a really beautiful ambition. <laughs> you might want to introduce yourself first. He, he is a young, naive fool. He yeah. really is. Start with high, Buck. <laughs> well, it, maybe he's the the teller or the story teller behind La Belle Fleur Sauvage because – it's that same naivety where he's just like he never really considers whether the other person likes him back. Yeah, it's it's actually really selfish. Yeah, and this entire song actually Buck is a very selfish character. But it's sweet. Mm-hmm. It's so sweet because I also don't want Lily with Big Jim. It. I mean, it is innocent, but it still is selfish. I mean, mm-hmm. Big Jim just seems like a goon. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. That's the thing too. This this song provides a funny like just fun visuals. Like in the lyrics, when he says, you know, you don't hit half bad for, for my love, I will lay in my grave tonight. Just wait until I catch my breath, gonna send you off to early death. Like, you know, Buck just got the crap knocked out of him and he's on his ass out yeah. of breath and be like, all right, hold on, hold on. Like, you'll get yours. Just like, you know, just, he threw the first punch. Give me a moment. <laughs> yeah, you know, he threw the first punch and it's just like, Big Jim just like, nah. Nothing. <laughs> you can almost feel him reeling from that first punch, like, oh, I'll yeah. get you next time. <laughs> like, I think of Bo or um, Buck Vernon as just kind of scrappy, um, but Big Jim, I mean, is just the Hulk. You know, you can't, you can be as scrappy as you want to be, weave and fancy footwork or whatever, but you just get one punch from Big Jim and you are... You are KO. <laughs> so, question, because I was watching the music video for Fool for Love, and I don't think he dies, but based on the lyrics, I'm like, yep, he gone. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's interesting, because the lyrics themselves really do paint that he dies. Right. But he comes back in the second half, so maybe this is just more of the lines between death and life coming back yeah maybe or maybe he does die but he's now one of those like drifters half dead, yeah, half alive mm-hmm, people maybe um before we move on i do want to mention one brief thing because this is in fact the last song on sort of well i mean the last strictly innocent uh song on the first half and uh you know <laughs> the, buck's view on love is just such a 
like kid view on love like love is you show up at the bar and like i love you and then you ride out in the sunset and live happily ever after like that's how that <laughs> happens like it's just so disney the way that buck thinks love works and it's yeah. like you, you think that's it you really are a fool you are so dumb um yeah so i mean again it's from a place of innocence like you do feel for buck but it it still is you do realize you know the flaws are there so mark take us into world under oh boy all right (laughs) so we are we constantly have been mentioning that this is a dark album a very moody album but really for the first half with the exception of love like ghosts it really isn't Uh, i mean it's it's about dark themes like the world ending people coming back from the dead, but it's always done in sort of a almost, not positive light, but sort of making the best of it. Like, well, the world's gonna end, but we're gonna have fun partying anyway. Or, I came back from the dead, but you know what? It's fine. I'll walk the desert forever. Bye, everybody. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, obsessive love or, um, or crushes. I mean, they are crushes, but, you know, we, we always kind of look at crushes in a sort of sweet light, at least at first. Um, where it's like, oh, you know, we've all been there. Um, so it's none of this has been really dark yet. This whole first half has been the silver lining to a lot of bad things that have been happening. And then enters the world ender, which I mentioned before is serves as sort of the transitional piece between the first and second halves. And we mentioned before, I think Amy did, uh, Dead Man's Hand, the guy comes back from the dead, but he seems actually kind of like a nice guy. The world ender is not a nice guy. <laughs> not a nice guy. No. He comes back from the dead and he's like, I'm going to kill every single one of you people. It is it is scary. The sounds that Ben Schneider is making when he's singing this song, it's just, it's it's spooky. Oh my God. Yeah. You have the feeling that like your, your youth is dead. Game's like, over. Your, yeah. your lives are done. Yeah. Now's the time to uh, face the music, so to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree, Mark. This is definitely a turning point because like you said, everything remains fairly lighthearted and instrumentally upbeat and then then you just have this song and i agree like amy you remember when we saw this live it was terrifying yeah this was like oh my (laughs) yes ben schneider just was like he was like possessed he was just like fully in character and it was a little bit it's it's a kind of a terrifying song because it is kind of like everyone else is just like that has played with the line between life and death has been kind of just like kind of happy-go-lucky and just kind of like making the best of it like you're saying mark the innocence then there's this guy that's just like no every what's what's the line the fair and the brave and the good must die it's mm-hmm. like oh okay yep. <laughs> so i remember distinctly being at that show with you michael and it had been the first time i had heard the song and he he gets up ben schneider gets up and he like a cloud crossed his face and he you know that that part in the song and i'm gonna butcher this but he's like huh huh, huh yeah exactly. yeah his eyes rolled back in his head and he like looked possessed like shoulders <laughs> twerking and like as if seriously like something had taken control of his body and he couldn't couldn't get it back and then he'd come back and sing a little bit and then when he did the huh huh," again the Mm -hmm. eyes would go back and again the like jerky jerky motion and i'm like is he having a seizure (laughs) (laughs) it was so scary but it was all part of this act 
And this mm-hmm. this song is just like whenever I hear it now, I think about that, and it's it's scary for me. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. He got really into it, but that's yeah. that made it like again. That's what I love about this this band. Like like I discussed before, it, it they don't get up and they don't they don't identify themselves. They no. assume the personas of the characters, and also kind of switching a little bit. The one thing I, I think the song is, albeit it is very dark, it is also kind of fun in the sense that. This is a perspective that we never really see that often is the the origin story of the villain. And that's what makes this fun is like I know Schneider said in an NPR interview this was he was reading a lot of comic books at the time and weird fiction and this song I, I mean hence the the actual tangible merchandise of the, he produced an actual comic book off this origin story but it it is kind of fun we get to, we get a glimpse of like this guy that's kind of like the nuclear family just kind of happy happy life has beautiful wife and um some kids and but it all gets taken away from him and it's the origin story of why he becomes the villain and i don't know it, it, it's fun in that respect that we get to see kind of a, a glimpse into that origin story side that we typically don't see well right so do you guys um have you ever read the book the count of monte cristo it's like a really really popular book by the same it's a really really big book yes same <laughs> author who wrote the three musketeers and um it's about this guy, um, Edmond Dantes. It's my favorite book of all time. But he has – I think of this story every time I hear World Under 2 because Edmond Dantes has like this beautiful like bride-to-be, Mercedes. And he gets totally backstabbed by people that he thought were his friends. He gets imprisoned for 14 years on like this prison on a – rock island in the middle of nowhere while in prison he meets this like alchemist guy who teaches him how to brew a potion that makes him stop temporarily breathing but still make him stay alive um and tells him about this immense treasure and shows him this treasure map and anyway so story goes on. I don't want to ruin it completely, but it is this epic tale of revenge where Edmund Dantes escapes from jail and he goes, you know, F you, F you, F you, F you. And he doesn't just say F you, like he destroys their lives to the point where like, not just even murdering them, but irreparable damage to reputations, families. I mean, in some cases he does kill them. And it is it is so thrilling that I think of that story every time I hear World Under because it's so similar where this guy rises from the dead and he's just like, you know, tab's got to be settled. Um, mm-hmm. I've got this list of people who have wronged me and they are all going to meet these horrible deaths. <laughs> and if you go you – no, know, I'm serious. But if you go and look at the the music video, I think they did a really good job at portraying this because – you know, the guy rises from the dead and he he consults his um, – or he sees all these things for like Winthrop Corporation and it's just like this and all the people that work for him that murdered his family and set fire to his home and all this stuff. So he, he goes through the laundry list of people associated with Winthrop and he um, – one of the scenes is he like goes to the Frozen Pines Motel. So again, like kind of a little crumb of another song title on the album, the Frozen Pines. And he sees one of the people he he wants to, you know, get revenge on. He sees him doing something that he shouldn't with probably a hooker. Um and he like rips him off the bed and he takes this wine corkscrew 
and like shoves it into his mouth and murders him. <laughs> You're just like, that oh, is the, <laughs> a, a gruesome way to go. Mm-hmm. But that, it's just like unrestricted revenge is my point. And it's what make this, makes this song like so interesting, but also so terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Something interesting to note as well. And I think this is mentioned on the prior episode of our podcast uh, when we were covering Lonesome Dreams. Where we mentioned that Ben Schneider, when he comes on stage, he just turns on that radio and uh, started right into the first three songs of Strange Trails. This song ends with the radio being kind of swiveled and turned off. Oh, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of another hint that, like, this side is over. Like, we're entering Mm. a whole different other thing. So in a way... Fool for Love is the climax of the first half of the record. Uh, Yeah, it's sort of the way that it closes out. And then World Ender is sort of the transitional piece closing things out. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Yeah, it's a good observation, Mark. That's I I think you nailed it. I I think you're right. I mean, because that is kind of like the Fool for Love is the climax and the World Ender is like the big song before the intermission where you're like, a glimpse of what's to come, kind of. Well, it's also interesting because that that may be true and we're getting into the darker meat of the album, but I also feel like it's a little return to uh, Lonesome Dreams in this second half. Or just, it's not not a return, but has has elements of Lonesome Dreams in there. Um, I would agree. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, Meet Me in the Woods, especially. I mean, I, I kind of felt like I was stepping back into their first album. Yeah, this, I, I would say that Meet Me in the Woods is definitely, I, I think it is one of my favorites on the album. Um, and this is the first kind of introduction we get into this, like, it's like this oscillating synth they have. Yeah, yeah. And it provides just the perfect, like, echoey ambiance to the, so- uh, to the song. And um, another thing I really like about this is if you listen with really good headphones, and this is something I had didn't notice before Mark mentioned it, but this song is actually a duet. Yes! Between a, a woman and a guy. Um, and this is a, a new thing for Lord Huron. That this is the first they've actually had a woman as a part, uh, a compliment to Schneider as a lead singer. And I think it works really well. Yeah, I noticed that yesterday when I was listening to it to prepare for the podcast. I had never heard a woman singing before. I don't know why. I just, I picked it up for the first time and I was like, huh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, So I'm going to pop in here. This mm-hmm. is a reprise of mm-hmm. Love Like Ghosts. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, I know that love is like ghosts. So few have seen it, but everybody talks. This is the same way. I took a little journey to the unknown. I come back changed, man. I feel it in my bones. Like, it's oh, the same. Yeah. It is the same <laughs> song. But mm-hmm. definitely just through a different lens, huh. different beat, yeah. different tempo, um, and different presentation. But it is a reprise of Love Like Ghosts. So this is, we're kind of bringing in the second half the way that the first half was. Again with Francine Liu, and again with sort of a reprise of this Love Like Ghosts rock that um, uh, Strange Trails returns to. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. I thank you for seeing those two little sections, because I don't think I would have gotten the parallel without that that's yeah. so true yeah nice yeah well another thing i do like about this song is that this it, this is continues that tonal shift uh, before everyone that had kind of the brush with the the other side provided it was all kind of lighthearted and then like otherwise they just kind of were vague with the descriptions like oh there's no thrills in the endless void of the afterlife like no, i mean it's like okay but i mean like here it's the this guy and this girl whichever is discussing it there's like there ain't language for the things i've seen and the truth is stranger than my own worst dreams like 
it's just like oh the darkness got a hold on me it's like more descriptive and like no this is bad like something bad is happening or i've done terrible things in my life like we need me in the woods and to discuss it like a way where no one can hear us it's uh, yeah i don't know it's it's one of my favorite songs just sonically and i I guess that makes sense mark now you mentioned it it is kind of a reprise of love like ghost which is also one of my favorites um but yeah i don't know i i really like the new it's also because it's it's similar to the lonesome dreams but throwing in new stuff like the the woman uh compliment singer to the oscillating synth stuff we hadn't heard before and it's it's just kind of fresh but also really familiar it's it's a nice song hmm yeah, we're definitely stepping into darkness, you know, first definitive step, um, which brings us to Yawning Grave. And I, okay, this I have a confession. This is one that I sometimes skip. Really? <laughs> I don't know why. I just, I don't have a lot to say about it. Aww. What do you guys think? I, I really like this one, but I have a question for you guys because I have my own kind of uh, theory. Whose perspective do you think this song is sung from? So it's interesting, on the record, uh, on the LP itself, on the label, this is listed as traditional. Um, There's a few others on the record that also have this, so I do not think there is a... Well, at least going off the label, um, Mm -hmm. it's not supposed to be any particular person. It's more of a a, uh, uh, disembodied voice, or maybe even like just the concept of death or the Grim Reaper. Yeah. So that's, that's, that was kind of my interpretation is I could see this as like the third person omniscient mother nature deity or otherworldly power based on like the first stanza here or the first couple lines here. Like, I know the rain, like the clouds, know the sky. I speak to birds and tell them where to fly. I sing the songs you hear on the breeze. I write the names of the, of the rocks and the trees. Like you get a sense that like, this is the otherworldliness. It's like, hey, you got reckoning. You gotta like you have opened like Pandora's box here and you're gonna get your your due payment. And I think that is a really good compliment to kind of the other stuff that we experienced in the first half of the album where it's all innocent and they're kind of playing with death and everything like that. But yeah, there is a line of the song that says, Oh you fool, there are rules, I am coming for you. So when exactly. we talked earlier about like Dead Man's Hand, how there's really like, the guy's just like, yeah, I'm done with death. I'm going to come back. <laughs> Which seems to not follow our traditional rules of life and death. Um, so it's interesting here. It's it's kind of, yeah, you can run, but you can't be saved. Mm-hmm. We are clearly in the experience side of things. The, the, we're in somber consequences, regrets and scars. Uh, like, the naive mistakes made in the beginning like there are ramifications for that and uh one of those for both uh the uh world ender and uh the teenager coming back in uh dead man's hand like oh you fool there are rules i'm coming for you like you're you're gonna die you're there i told you not to do this i sent you songs poems rhymes like i gave everyone in the world as much a clue to not do this as possible and what do you do you you go and do it like all right rolling up my sleeves uh grabbing you by the ear and i'm yanking you back like it's a very um scary song in that sort of regard and 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 not that the grim reaper whoever's singing this is is evil necessarily like Mm -hmm. i feel like they don't want to do it like oh you fool why yeah why'd you do it like now now what do i have to do i have all this paperwork i have to sign (laughs) (laughs) yeah like that that's why i'm like maybe it's like a mother nature deity or something that's like not necessarily like full-on grim reaper death but like 
something that is responsible for everything that's kind of happening. Um, I agree. I, I I look at this more as a Mother Nature than a Grim Reaper. Grim Reaper, I think, you know, takes you wherever he can. Um, and Mother Nature just wants to remind you that, you know, you, you have a time and you have a set amount of minutes on this earth and then you go. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, that's interesting. I'm I'm now curious to go listen to this more and not <laughs> skip through it. Maybe it's just so dark that I'm kind of past that dark point in my life where <laughs> um, I don't really want to listen to it because it puts me in a depressed mood. But um, the next song is actually this and Hurricane, I think, are my favorites on the entire album. I okay. I just remember, you know, like in those late nights of testing when this came on, I'd just be like, oh, yeah, uh, 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 this is my jam. <laughs> <laughs> Strawberry raspberry, Amy. Yeah, I loved it. It was so, so good. And I don't know. I just, I, I think my favorite lyric, um, and I would like belt this on the top of my lungs, much to my husband's chagrin, but <laughs> I'd be like, and it feels like I've been away for an era, but nothing has changed at all. And it feels like I've been with you, but oh, what did you do and where have you gone? I don't know. I just love to sing this at the top of my lungs. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's a very sad song in that respect. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going getting back to consequences here and, mm-hmm. and what – what uh, what are the ramifications for coming back from the dead? Like people are, and I'm assuming more people have been rising from the dead as well, not just the two that we covered in the first half of the record. And mm-hmm. like, imagine what that does to loved ones hearing like, you know, knowing that you've passed on, like, you know, and maybe it's been a year or so, like I moved on, I've accepted this. But then all of a sudden you hear like stories like, oh, wait, I thought like there was a sighting of y- your dead husband walking around in the frozen pines. Like, that's going to destroy you and, and not even knowing if they it actually is true that someone saw them, but knowing that maybe there were other accounts of this, it, it would mess with you. It oh, would, yeah. I, I mm-hmm. could see people losing sleep, not being able to eat like this is it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. And this, the singer who on the label is HW Justine, um, uh, whoever this person is, is just absolutely distraught by this knowledge. Um, mm-hmm and has basically thrown away her life and is like searching the woods trying to find her deceased husband that apparently uh may or may not have come back from the dead hmm. um, yeah and it's it's sad it's you almost mm-hmm. wish like that he didn't come back from the dead if he actually did because like it's just destroying her yeah. it is yeah the song definitely deals with a lot of grief like the two lines i'll be waiting for you on the other side of the frozen pines the other side meaning like not death like to with the land of the living and but what i find is the clincher here is i'm gonna find a way through there's another life beyond that line kind of the line between life and death like it's almost like this narrator's like she wants to follow through to that other side to find him right and it's like that's really i don't know this song kind of hit me when i kind of was re-looking at because it really deals heavily with how you handle grief and loss of like a true loves one um and i don't know this one i kind of pulled 180 because i i used to really not like this one i kind of viewed this as like he's yawning grave and meet me in the woods or for me like oh i really enjoy these really enjoy these and like this one i was like "Eh, okay but (laughs) after i started like rereading lyrics got understanding what it's about i'm like okay like i get this yeah yeah i really really like the frozen pines and something i this now this may be an uh, a stretch but 
I, I've listened to it a few times comparing the two, and it seems to be intentional to me. Um, we, we all know how uh, Lonesome Dreams, the self-titled track on Lonesome Dreams, has that sort of twinkling going on. That same pattern, that same sort of sound is repeated with woodblocks at the beginning and throughout Frozen uh-huh. Pines. Um, just with woodblocks. So it's... I can't help but feel that this Frozen Pines forest, assuming it is a forest, not just a, ho- a hotel, <laughs> but um, I-, I do feel that it actually is a woods, the way that the lyrics are written yeah. for um, this song. But I can't help but feel that this is the same forest that either inspired George Ranger and Johnson to write uh, that section of Lonesome Dreams, or um, if uh, the worlds actually do cross over, that this is actually the woods that uh, Lord Huron was in when Lonesome Dreams was, you know being written i think it is and i think you're right because i think he's stephen kinging it (laughs) (laughs) like see but the 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 thematic the theme of lonesome dreams is there it's just hidden with wood blocks Uh Mm -hmm. yeah this is the dairy main of the juxtaposition between 11 22 63 and it so yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. frozen pine this forest is you know the same one from lonesome dreams on lonesome dreams and (laughs) you know, this world that we're in now with Strange Trails. Yeah, they just brush shoulders, right? <laughs> yep, just, just brush shoulders. Like, they don't meet any characters or anything, uh-uh. but the, the the sound is there to say, yeah, this is the same place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then, yeah, after Frozen Pines comes Cursed and uh, good old Buck's back. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, okay. So he, cool. he didn't die. <laughs> well, I, I maybe? it's it, You know, it's not really clear. <laughs> well, it, I think it is a continuation of... The whole uh, wildflower, because I can't do French. I'm just going to save the listeners from that awfulness. So (laughs) the wildflower to fool for love to cursed, because now he's feeling like the girl has laid a curse on him, like he can't escape that crush. Um, But I don't know. Yeah, I I think you're right, Mark. I think it is it is Buck here. So I actually like to think that this is Lily, like somehow he got in with Lily and Harkening back to what Amy said on La Belle Fleur Sauvage, that like men come back with like phantom hearts and uh and phantom pain or what what was the broken hearts and phantom pain? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. but like apparently she just chews through guys and spits them out, and maybe she was done with uh uh Big Jim, moved on to Buck, and Buck's realizing like, oh no, like I made a big mistake. Like this isn't if this is love. This this sucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Um it's it's horrible the things that he goes through in this and he talks about in here. Well, I mean, it she doesn't seem like the nicest woman. No. <laughs> no. Uh, she bends the wills of men for fun according to Buck and yeah. I don't know how to take my own life back and it's like it it kind of is like um Sufjan Stevens uh Chicago, right? Where he's like all things go, all things go like giving it all into a relationship. This is kind of like um, Buck giving it all to and her being kind of just taking advantage of that almost. And he doesn't even know like what his own life is anymore. And like, geez, everything she touches turns to black. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like choosing who to date based only on looks. It, it is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Yeah, no, no, it's 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 such a such an experienced thing. Like he's he's learning now the 
the flaws in his original sort of innocent approach and is feeling the pain from that. You know, love is more than looks. I think we all kind of learned that hard lesson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, Way Out There is a title drop um, in the song. Oh, I have that. Yep. I yeah. have it in my notes. Also, title boop, drop. Boop, boop, title boop, drop. Title drop. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, I I know this is the um, – we're wrapping up on the album, but I just think that this pales in comparison to The Night We Met. So I – I don't have a whole lot to say about this one. What about so you guys? I, I, I disagree. This one is up there with one of my few favorites really? on the album. Okay. Really? Again, we, again, I'm we have a on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Huh. Again, we have the return of the, the stream sample in the background in addition to the Oceline synth again. again. I'm a sucker for that stuff so <laughs> um but also like instrumentally we have like these vi almost like violins kind of closing out the song and i don't know it also just like the whole kind of theme of like finding me way out there it, it again kind of evokes back to lonesome dreams of going way out there and like the lyrics i belong bodily to the earth and it's it's like lonesome dreams but again kind of like a darker tone like the connection of nature and you're going to find me way out there in the wilderness but it's 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 darker it's like i belong bodily to the earth i'm just wearing old bones from those that came first and then i want to wander out there and see what i'm worth it's like it's it's kind of re going back to that self discovery out there um it, finding oneself out in nature and and it it also though it's it's through a darker date like he's doing this because he it, it, it's continuing the theme of rapture like the narrator says he has a date that he can't escape mm -hmm. i.e his own death so he knows his death is coming he's like i like i gotta go out there and see what i'm worth like and actually self-discover myself so i see a lot of like continuation of kind of the themes from lonesome dreams but flipped on its head a little bit and done a little bit darker um and i don't know i just love kind of the it, it's more of a grand song too um and I don't know. This one just does a lot for me. I I, I really appreciate it both instrumentally and it's kind of parallels between it and Lonesome Dreams for sure. Um, it kind of recaptures that wondrous, adventurous spirit, but kind of through a darker lens. Huh. Well, I mean, compare this to earlier in the album when you know we're talking about in Way Out There, we're ta we talk about death as a date you can't escape, and there's a maturity level that that statement comes from. Um. But when you rewind back to some of the earlier songs and they're just like, yeah, last night, drink, party, <laughs> <Yep>. death is coming. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely different. And Mark, I am so glad you pointed that out, um, that there's two two sides to one coin on this album. A, a, mm -hmm. a lighthearted, juvenile, very unex inexperienced side and a mature, dark and, and a bit sad side. Yeah. Um, and actually, Michael, you made an interesting point and made me sort of see there, uh, Hurricane and Way Out There are sort of this, the yin-yang here where, mm -hmm. um, and Amy mentioned it before as well, like, oh, you know, Johnny's reasoning is actually pretty sound and mature. Like, you know, I know that I have a date set for death. But his way of combating mm -hmm. that, just like setting fire to things, <laughs> being crazy, uh -huh. uh, causing harm to himself, to those around him, uh, it's just really self-destructive and not well thought out, immature. Um, uh, but then way out there, it, the same problem or, you know, the same event is there. Like, I know I'm going to die, but the conclusion from there instead is a journey of 
quiet self-discovery, your own trail to follow, um, finding out who you are, and and, and not necessarily <laughs> setting things on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it, definitely a more mature take on the, the Johnny approach from the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One quick thing before we move on. I'm sorry. Um, I can't be the only one. I'm so sorry, Michael. I know you love this thing, but... I do not care for the synthy weird thing oh, going on. What? I can't. I can't abide it. It's just no. so. Would you, Mark? Would you rather a harmonica? Um, I'm not sure about that. I would have rather just had a single violin, honestly. Uh, okay. So I will say this, I do really like it, but if it were overdone, I would be in the same camp as you. I think they're doing it in the right places and the right amounts, but I agree, there could be a cheese factor there if they went (laughs) too far, but I don't know, I'm a sucker for it, I I like it. (laughs) You know, (laughs) Michael, you bringing up the cheese factor brought me to my favorite word of crunchy, and just a real (laughs) quick comment about this album, it is not crunchy it's not like it was like my initial impression of lonesome dreams there's just so i don't know you know that phrase still waters run deep um Mm. that's what i feel about this album is that it's maybe not a lot on first listen and on the surface but you listen to it again and again and again like i did in 2015 or when it first came out and you're just like get to that meat and that heart of it it's pretty cool. I would agree and disagree. I, I I don't think that there's not a much there on first listen as much as there's too much there on first listen. You can't process it all. So it does come uh, yeah. across with the same result of not being able to really chew on anything because it's just so much. But then, yeah, as you said before, I like that analogy, but it's really deep. There's a lot of things here to chew on if you spend the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. So yeah, the night we met is. Well, you you skipped over Louisa. Yeah, I did. Oh my goodness, I'm sorry. I don't have anything really to say about it, but. <laughs> but that you. that's my argument. You know, the one thing I have to say about that that's my argument. This is the one ray of sunshine in this dark side of the album. Mm-hmm. I feel alive when I'm with you, baby. You know that that type of stuff, mm-hmm. that sentiment is just it's it's not super juvenile. Um, it's, it's coming from a place of maturity and it's so sincere and so sweet. And I, I really like it. Um, cause it's, it's a love song. Yeah. And I think when I listen to it, I think of all of those, um, couples that I know that are just really great together. You know, I, I know a lot of couples that aren't so great together, but it's never, you know, it's kind of awkward to hang out with them because, you know, that's the elephant in the room that they don't belong together. But there, you know, the, those couple times where you you meet two people that are so clearly compliments and, and so clearly meant to be together that, um, you know, the song kind of captures that for me. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think we we kind of need this song between way out there and the night we met because the listeners almost need like some happiness here because yeah. otherwise it's just the night we met will just freaking pixar style destroy you at the end without at least something to get your hopes up a little bit right um but yeah i i agree i i, I initially didn't really like the song because i was like ah it's a barrier towards the last one that's fantastic but now i'm kind of like it has 
it has the the beginning of it i'm not so much a fan but like towards the end of the song i'm like okay i really kind of like this it's more upbeat it's kind of happy like it's it's just like a ray of sunshine through all this kind of like ominous clouds that we've had been having throughout this entire album and it's it's kind of nice to have so mark what do you think so <laughs> i like what the song is trying to be i like what it, it the slot that it's supposed to fill i like that platonic ideal of what the song is supposed to be i hate this song i i think it needed <laughs> another time at the drawing board it is ill thought out it is it, it's just not well formed okay why why the first verse sounds like it's the first draft of lord huron coming up with the lyrics to um. the song like okay <laughs> we kind of have a rough beat we have a somewhat idea of what the song is supposed to be let's just kind of sing the lyrics here we're singing the lyrics it there's it's just not interesting to listen to there's not too much good going on musically at least until the end which is what i mean like i think it could work it just needed more time it, mm. it's just half formed it's half baked um mm. which really upsets me because this is buck vernon again and this is the last time we see him and you know what? Experience and growing up is not all bad because you learn and you know what really matters in life. You get to get your footing. And if you try and keep your mind open, you really can end up happy like him. And I'm glad he ends up happy because, you know, he had a bad rap, potentially dying, <laughs> finding out that Lily sucks, um, <laughs> all that stuff. And he gets a good ending. Louisa yeah. sounds so nice. And mm -hmm. the song is so bad. It's just... <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Well, it's interesting. There's a line in the song that's, I'm a hip dad, but you love and raised me. Hey, you know, so, <laughs> you know, he doesn't even know if he died. <laughs> I, I may have it. died. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just me personally, but I, I see. And I, that's why I can't blame you for forgetting about it, because uh, I do, too, all the time. <laughs> I do, too, all the time. Oh, my gosh. It's so, oh. oh gosh, I it's just so sweet. It is. It is a sweet song, and I like what it's trying to be. I like the ideal of what the song is supposed to be. You know, I kind of hear you, though, because when I think about love songs that just truly get it and that I identify with, this is not in the short list of songs that come to mind. But when I listen to it, I really appreciate it. So I, I, I guess I hear what you're saying that, like – Maybe it is a little half baked in that it's it's not an epic love song. Um it's it's you know, as we as we did, it's forgettable. <laughs> um, but it is sweet and I, I appreciate it for that. Okay, so may may I move on to the night we met? You may proceed. <laughs> All right. Oh, I don't know. Permission to move on. Oh, boy. But this song is is heartbreaking. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean, I think I tear up every time I listen to it just because in a word, loss, <sighs> regret. Yeah. In two words, loss and regret. Yeah, so this is the second and final reprise of Love Like Ghosts. We entered the album with it. We entered the second side with it and we close out the whole record with it. It's uh it's fitting. Okay, so so help help me help me identify why this is a reprise. Yes, I know that love is like ghosts. A few have seen it, but everybody talks. I am not the only traveler who has not repaid his debt. It is the same oh, tune, yeah. but again through a different lens. And huh. and it's so expertly done because on the first few listens, you might not even recognize that these are reprises. You might notice that they sound similar in some way, maybe, um, but not necessarily identify that they are, in fact, a reprise of uh, the original song. So, you know, it's, I think it's fitting and... 
you're right, Amy. It's a uh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> so this is also the return we have of the the female complimentary singer. While um, while uh, Schneider is still the majority of the lead here, she provides a lot of the backup vocals and um, and stuff like that. Just kind of the soothing like um, introduction to the song. And I don't know, this song just I agree, Amy. It destroys me every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, this closure just perfectly i think it encapsulates kind of like we've been dealing with all these like it's like the death after afterlife the apocalypse the whole second side of the album has been just kind of this heavy subject matter and this is just like a general call towards a longing like an exasperated longing to return to better days like like why you return back to those when everything was better and i don't know it's it, it, it i think it speaks more broadly aside from just speaking about a relationship in terms of just of all these subject matters too. And this, this song is, I, I think that's why it's perfect as the closing is that just a longing to return to when things were better. But yeah, it's th- this live too was, um, I think they closed on this. They did. They did. I, they did. Yeah. And I was with a friend at the time who had just ended, a you know, a really long relationship and it was, you know, destroying him inside. And, um, I just remember kind of glancing over at him during the song and like I was close to tears and he was close to tears and I just was like, oh my God, I need to save him from this song because this is too, too soon. It's way too soon. Um, yeah. I mean, this, this is just like, I think, I don't think anyone like moved or took a sip from their beer or anything during this live performance. It is like that kind of, it's just like, oh God. It's horroring. Don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think, Mark, to your point about Louisa being half baked, this is just like perfection. To make you It's amazing. In, in in three minutes to make you kind of go through your Rolodex of experiences that made you feel this way is with a three minute song, that's tough to achieve. And I, I know I was going through like all those times where I, I felt this level of loss or regret or anything like that. And it's, you know, it's not hard to make me cry, but it was, you know, for, for everyone in the audience to just stand stock still and have, you know, glistening, glistening tears is an achievement. Mm. So, all right. So let's, let's kind of close this out. I know we've, we've talked a long time about this album but (laughs) (laughs) let's um where do you think that lord huron as a band not a fictional character um as a band where will they go next and and where do you want them to go i think the more i've been kind of looking at this ingredient i think they will if not the next one well actually possibly the next one i think they're going to return to this tales of george ranger johnson next i mean I, i mean everything kind of alludes towards that Schneider has a great kind of connection, personal connection to that world that he created there. I mean, he, he is from Michigan, so he kind of grows up around the great Lake areas. And, and he definitely said in a a lot of um, interviews that everything kind of hails from personal experience. Like there's some personal reality in it. And like all like all the stories of the on the album are either about my life or the lives of people that are who are close to me. I look at them through a fictional lens, but they all come th- from stuff that's happened to us. So there is there is always truth in what Lord Huron is talking about. And I think because he grew up in Michigan and has those personal connections to that to that lake and kind of th- those lonesome dreams kind of 
atmospheres, I think we'll see a return to that sort of um, aspect, that fictional lens, whether whatever be the life experiences you want to cover, I think we'll be seeing that fictional lens again. Um, and where do I want them to go next? Um, I don't know if I really can say because I initially didn't want them to go this direction when I first looked. And after letting it grow on me, I'm like, no, I really appreciate that they went this direction. So I don't know if I could really necessarily say where I want them to go next, but I would def definitely appreciate kind of uh, going back through the fictional lens of George Ranger Johnson, because those those are some that's a really fun world that I enjoy. You know, for me, I think and I've been saying this a couple of times, um, I think he's going to follow a Stephen King mentality and i think that the next album will be a completely new setting in the same world and he'll brush shoulders with this time both you know lonesome dreams and strange trails and you know i kind of think of it like a quilt where just the edges are stitched together but not there's no real overlap you know mm -hmm. yeah i will also say that i would love to see them refocus onto one or two or three characters and really concentrate on that because like i said before i'm a sucker for a story and i really love kind of picking it apart and seeing how all the events piece together and that was something i i definitely felt was a little missing from strange trails because it was a little bit more surface level and the the most or the closest we got to that was the story of buck vernon and we definitely see him return a lot but um I mean, we we have something, I think, 14 songs in comparison to 11, I think it is, on Lonesome Dreams. And so there is a lot more coverage on just other vague stuff that I think um, kind of takes away from some of the immersion a little bit. Because um, I definitely love getting more of a personal connection with the characters. like, And that's why I think really made some of those songs carry a lot of weight in um, Lonesome Dreams is in the wind, hearing Helena's side of the story after like after following the the admiral and Huron through all these adventures and then just seeing how Helena had a change of change of attitude and change of perspective on the whole thing. And I, I think that just was more powerful because we concentrated on those characters a little bit more and on a central story. Um, so I would love to see them revisit whatever be the fictional lens that they pick. I would love to see them refocus on like a central storyline or a central set of characters mark what about you uh to kind of echo what you guys are saying um i think potentially they could uh a little bit more heavy-handed kind of do a crossover between um strange trails world and uh lord huron's world potentially some character crossover uh things of that nature though after hearing amy talk about it, i think i i like the appeal of the kind of quilt approach a little bit more um but I guess that is an option um, that they could do next. Because Strange Trails is big, and we barely scratched the surface on almost everyone. The only person that we really kind of got a good conclusion on, more or less, is is Buck and potentially Francine. But every other character, we like we've only seen them once or maybe mm -hmm. twice. Um, mm -hmm. So it almost feels like there's supposed to be a companion record to this, like Strange Trails Part Two, um, where we cover more people. Like we kind of get the other. Like, together, they make one complete whole, but separately, we're always kind of looking at one half of the puzzle. I could potentially see them doing something like that. I could also see them, this is a bit kind of a stretch, I could also see them doing space, honestly. Because, I mean, as much as I didn't really like the synth and way out there, 
I feel if they did a record focusing on synthy kind of spacey sounds, it might actually work really well because they're good with imagery. They're good with sort of adventure sounding kind of things. I mean, space is sort of a hot topic right now, um, you know, with the Mars missions and things being planned. And they, there are things that have happened. In fact, one has happened recently. Sufjan Stevens, I think it was a collaborative album he did uh, on literally space. There's songs for like each of the planets. <laughs> <laughs> um, so mm-hmm. I, 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 if I'm going to go like off the wall here, I think it would be kind of interesting to see Lord Huron do a little bit of space. <laughs> um, but um, mm-hmm. what what I actually want them to do next, I think personally, is either a continuation of Lonesome Dreams' world or a companion record of Strange Trails. Gotcha. It could be the Martian done Lord yeah. Huron style. <laughs> Funnily enough, again, asking for a sequel. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because they did such a a great time jump between like kind of 1800s old Western and Lonesome Dreams and um, like 1950s doo-wop and Strange Trails. So I don't think it would be that crazy to make a similar jump forward into like, I don't know, 2050 and, you know, do it from a space perspective. I just, I don't know for me personally and maybe this is just my lack of information, but would space be a rich enough landscape? Uh, space can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we don't know everything yeah. that's out there. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I would be more interested, I think, to see what they do sonically with that. Like Mark's saying, I think they could do something really interesting, but I also could see that being a huge challenge for them because uh, their space has no sound. So it's like, how do you musically convey i mean here for a lot of lonesome dreams and straight trails they're able to rely on these samples and these this kind of like artful crafting of nature sounds and stuff like that or like in lonesome dreams like the self-titled song the the twinkle of the stars are able to kind of convey so i guess i could see them kind of doing that but um i don't know if they have a whole lot of options or outlets for kind of their style of creating their sonic landscapes space is kind of a tricky one i think to do me so too but it would be an achievement if they could oh yeah. um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so all right um well in the event that they do come down with a case of sequelitis uh lonesome dreams or strange trails i would like to see them well me personally i would say i would like to see a sequel to to uh lonesome dreams not necessarily Huron or Helena's story, but maybe um, some characters surrounding that story, or kind of like you're saying, Paul Stephen King, where we get glimpses in the background of, you know, Huron and Helena were here, or that this is where this happened in that storyline. Um, so mm-hmm. I would say that. Uh, I would say a continuation of Strange Trails over Lonesome Dreams, because Strange Trails has so many unanswered questions, and uh, Lonesome Dreams only has one, more or less. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I'm I'm Camp Strange Trails. Camp Strange Trails sounds like a really bad Boy Scout. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> sounds like a Goosebumps title. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all right. Any final thoughts? So, in in terms of final thoughts, I definitely pulled kind of a 180 on this album because I mean, from the beginning, I was really hesitant with proceeding with it. I wasn't sure. I was like, eh, I'm not sure about this world they're trying to create. I, w- I was like, yeah, but I definitely, after this, I'm like, you know, I, I definitely appreciate what they did. And I really like how we kind of get a darker side of things. And I really like kind of the, 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 the juxtaposition between this and Lonesome Dreams, I think is really interesting. And, um, 
don't know. Yeah, I definitely kind of pulled a 180 on this one, and it's 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 up there as one of my favorite albums. Um, I would still place Lonesome Dreams above as my favorite for Lord Huron, but um, this is a very close second. Yeah, for me, final thoughts are uh, Strange Trails, definitely one of my favorite records of all time as well, actually. But um, I would not be so quick to put Lonesome Dreams above Strange Trails, personally. I think it depends a lot on what I'm feeling that day, because they're just entirely different beasts. They, they really are. Uh, but as far as Strange Trails goes, I, I do find it interesting, just the themes in the album, uh, the lyrics, the meta structure with the two halves, the yin-yang. At the end of the day, I can't help but feel like there's a lot to take out of it. We all sort of have our own world enders to face in the abstract sense that sort of destroy our concept of what the world is or destroy what our lives are at that current time. And they seem like utterly destructive, insurmountable. They seem they challenge us, um, though. They help us grow up and mature, um, and they become like pivotal moments in our lives that change us, potentially for the worse, but also sometimes for the better. They're winding roads. Sometimes they, you know, throw us off. Sometimes they help us get on the track that we wanted to or needed to get to all along, though we didn't even know it. So I can't help but feel that the strange trails themselves are like each of our winding lives with all of the stops and starts that come with it, the forks in the road, the obstacles, um, all of that, our own road from like inexperience to an innocence to experience, maturity, adulthood. And I see that sort of exemplified in this record a lot, especially with Buck and him sort of finding his own way on his own trail. So in a strange way, I actually did get my adventure after all, um, just not the one I was expecting. <laughs> the adventure is life. Um, and I'm happy I was the case because I, I, this was something new, something different. And it, at least in my opinion, is a perfect uh, companion record to Lonesome Dreams, each offering their own uh, their own voice. Um. Both both albums are on my shelf. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and, and both have a place in my heart. And I, I just, I just love Lord Huron. <laughs> That's my closing thoughts. <laughs> I, um, I told, I told my husband that, um, you know, someday he has to come to a live show with me, and. And he's like, oh, fine. He's not a concert guy. <laughs> I told him Was it's, it the Duke of Earl? Or? Yeah, he jokes that um, Lord, whenever I'm listening to Lord Huron, he's like, oh, is that the Duke of Earl? Or Duke of Erie. You know, he takes another oh, yeah, Great Lake what... and kind of another oh, formal title. <laughs> Duke of Erie. Um, Madame Superior. <laughs> oh, my God. Your husband's a dweeb. A little bit. <laughs> But I, yeah, I just, I, I love, I love Lord Huron. I love what he's done with both of these albums, and I'm super excited for a third. That's my, my closing remarks. All right, and with that, I think we have covered in its entirety Strange Trails. <laughs> All right, I would like to thank everyone for um, uh, being with us on this journey, and I'd like to also thank uh, Michael. Thank you so much for uh, taking this Strange Trail along with us. Oh, thanks, Mark. Yeah, it was it was fun. I, like I said, I really enjoyed relooking at this album in depth and relooking at the lyrics. It definitely uh, got some new interpretations and new newfound appreciation for the album. Yeah, same. And uh, Amy, thank you so much for being with us as well. You bet. <laughs> someone someone non musical has to be on these chats. <laughs> <laughs> Keep us whippersnappers in line. <laughs> and thank you, listeners, for tuning in. All materials referenced during the show are linked and available in both the show notes and in the Strange Trails page on badmusichurts.com. Thanks again, and see you on the other side.
Welcome, everyone, to the second episode of the Bad Music Hurts podcast, a show dedicated and... Ah, f*** me. All right. (laughs) Yeah, this is going to go great. (laughs) 